0: This episode's guest is Leo Ryan from Innate Strength. Leo is a health performance and breeding specialist and the founder of InnateStrength.com. Leo has studied athletic training, health and breeding since healing himself of asthma in 2004 with the Buteyko Method. After graduating with a master's from the University of College Dublin, he continued to educate himself prolifically throughout his professional career in Ireland and internationally. He has attained multiple diplomas and certifications in elite personal training, physical therapy and breathing schools including a diploma in the Buteyko method. He is also a Wim Hof instructor, an oxygen advantage instructor, a fascial stretch therapist and a strength and conditioning specialist as well as being a Pilates teacher and you can get Leo's full bio over on the show notes. In this episode Leo and I discuss Leo's background and how he got into breathwork. What is an asthma attack really like? How to assess and train the breath? Leo talks about the differences between Wim Hof's work and Patrick McKeown's work. I asked Leo what was training with Wim like. I asked Leo about his biggest influences. I asked Leo how he learns. I asked Leo if there's anything he does on a daily basis that is essential to his day. Leo gives us his top and current book recommendations. I asked Leo how fatherhood has changed his life. I asked Leo the importance of being a role model for his three daughters. And finally, I asked Leo if he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who'd he invite and why? Guys, this was a great conversation with Leo, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Leo. Thank you so much for making time to come and speak with me today. How are you doing?
1: Awesome. Keep them great.
0: All right. So, listen, you reached out to me about coming onto the podcast, which I'm very grateful for, really am, because you wanted to come on and have a discussion with me about the importance of breeding, not only for performance, but also for health. And you've gone through some extensive training when it comes to breeding, I believe. So, you've done I Work with Patrick McKeown, who we previously had on the OPEX podcast. So, the Oxygen Advantage and the Buteco method. And you've also worked with Wim Hof. I mean, anyone who doesn't know Wim at this stage now, <laughs> and, as I say, they're living under the, the, the proverbial rock. But uh, I just read, just as we were hopping online there, it, it says in your about on your website that you previously had asthma and you you know i use the c word you cured yourself of asthma but
1: (laughs) i use i use that word yeah yeah, all right that's not bad you can use use
0: a c word here so yeah and we're not we're not not talking about crossfit we're talking about cured uh but kabir listen obviously i'm gonna ask you to get into that but i suppose tell us about breeding what's the fascination with it what got you into it why is it important you know bring us down that rabbit hole uh mike is over to you my man
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having me on because I I did ask you and and it was kind of out of my love and passion what I'm doing now where I've gone from working one-to-one with people and working with teams and and privately to I want to start becoming more public with what's happening with breathing. For me, it is probably the most underrated and the most underutilized tool we have as physical preparation coaches. So we've done the gym work, we've done the energy systems work, we've looked at nutrition, uh, we've looked at sleep, we've even looked at personal development, but not many people are looking at specifically training the respiratory system. And that's what I've, I mean, I could say specialized in in the last five or six years because it was about that time ago that I went back and decided to really dive into what's happening with the respiratory system. And if you think about it, when, you, when you're creating energy uh, in the cell, you want to create ATP. So what goes in is oxygen and nutrients and water. And what comes out is ATP, carbon dioxide, hydrogen ion, lactate, uh, water, and heat. Pretty much, yeah? Would you agree with that? Well, the, okay. uh, the, the, end,
0: the end products are, are H2O uh, or water and uh, carbon dioxide in the electron transport chain. But yes, you're definitely right there. There the are awesome. the products that go in and the end products that come out.
1: Okay, so we know how to train. Uh, when, I, when I talk about lactate, we know how to train our anaerobic energy system. That's been around for a long time in strength and condition uh, circles we know how to optimize nutrients or at least we think we do we're, we're doing a good job on that from a nutrition point of view going in but not a lot of people are looking at well what about the other byproduct which is heat and carbon dioxide mm. because they're two major aspects of training uh, which you're leaving on the table if you're not doing it specifically and that's really what i have found in sport to give you a little background on that i mean Two years ago, I decided I was going to run uh, the Dublin Marathon. And I, had, I hadn't I had ran in seven years. So zero running training. I hadn't ran for more than a bus. And I said, right, I'm going to go run the Dublin Marathon. And the only training I did for it was breath work and some, and some rehab training in the gym to make sure my joints were okay. So did you do any running? Zero. Oh, go on, continue. Zero. I like this already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to put to test what I had thought about the the breath work. And then I also paired up with uh, Sean Cannan and Health Matters and did Mm. some VO2 max testing with him. And that was awesome because I did it at the start of the training camp, which was about, uh, say, 16 weeks out is when I I tested with him. And then I trained consistently up to it, and I retested again uh, four weeks. It was about four weeks before the event itself and then did the event and tested afterwards. So the cool thing that I really found interesting is a whole lot. Now this is back when 2017, there was no research on this. There was nothing to show what was going on in the body with the breathing system. But what I found was, was in a trained person, N equals one knee, that when I switched from all nasal breathing to nose mouth breathing, I hit the aerobic threshold. So usually a lot of people will look at heart rate zones and will will correlate heart rate zones to the aerobic threshold and to to the heart rate, yeah? But what I found was that it was much more potent at that point to go, okay, practically when I'm in a a football game, when I'm running a marathon, when I'm participating in judo, whatever it is, I can now have a grasp on what energy system i'm using whether it's predominantly aerobic energy system or predominantly anaerobic energy system and i can influence how i use that energy system through my breath so just
0: do you mean you say aerobic threshold do you mean aerobic or anaerobic threshold
1: the aerobic threshold 80
0: what's the aerobic threshold
1: that is slightly lower than the. Um, no, okay. I might be getting these mixed up, but that—that's the one that's slightly lower than when the when the anaerobic metabolism shoots off and takes off on the curve, right?
0: Yeah, there's lt one and there's lt two. Is there on the lactate threshold I need that now. It's been it's been lactate you know,
1: threshold is different to aerobic. It's slightly different.
0: Oh, I know that, but but like I'm just wondering, what an aerobic tre- and 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 aerobic threshold is versus an anaerobic because is it's is it not just an anaerobic threshold like are we not aerobic anyway and then you hit your anaerobic threshold
1: yes that is mi- mistake in terms of wording and what i'm saying and you're right to correct me on it but that's the point at which i'm talking about
0: i get you i get you so from the point from when the point where you're going from aerobic to predom- from predominantly aerobic to anaerobic is what you're saying correct yeah. yeah. Uh, so are you saying that you prolonged, you were able to prolong the time you hit that through your breathing?
1: Exactly. And you know what, you hit an important point there because the the science of this isn't um, well researched and my background isn't predominantly in science. Mine is in, is in practice. So mm-hmm. what I've taken is what I've learned over 15 years and applied it and I'm, and I'm catching up and learning the science to go with it. So even though I would have, you know, looked at the books, and I I do get confused with terminology, and I mm-hmm. and I do make those those cri- and that's a critical mistake to make. Where I'm like, okay, we got to be clear about what we're saying here. So there is a point at which your your aerobic metabolism um is is then starts to be sorry when your energy system starts to become dominantly um anaerobic yeah
0: i guess yeah so yeah for again i i need to look back on it but there is onset of blood lactate accumulation which is a four millimoles um of mercury as far as i remember but that's not the anaerobic threshold that's just when you start getting accumulation of of lactate in the blood and then you there's that and i'm fairly sure i'm nearly sure is that there's i have to look back again but there's what they call lt1 lt2 like so it's like a lactic threshold one but I'm not sure if that's OBLA, onset on of blood lactate accumulation. But then like LT2, I think, is when you actually hit your lactate threshold. Then. But anyway, lactate threshold um, is where that, you normally go from, yeah, aerobic to anaerobic. And aerobic becomes your predominant energy weight. But again, I'd have to look back because currently I'm more into studying the brain and nervous system the last, the last while. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been looking well, at sports physiology texts.
1: Uh, and that was a point where, where I hit And I hit it within, for me, it was within 10 seconds. And I thought, wow, well, that's pretty fascinating. Wow. So that told me that when I was going to do the marathon, you know, if I have zero running history behind me, um, I'd want to be aerobic the whole time, which means I'd want to be m- nose breathing the whole time. If I have to resort to breathing in and out of the mouth, then I'm going to produce um, an anaerobic uh, state quicker.
0: Yeah, I get you. I get you. And so, tell us more about. You know, you were previously an asthmatic. How did you go about?
1: Oh yeah, go ahead. Before I even go into that, what became interesting was I was training a football team at the time. Now, after I finished the marathon, I was fully recovered within three days. To oh, wow. the point where I was back training and I decided to compete in the All-Ireland Masters event for uh, judo the following week, where I bronze medal at that. So again, without without any specific training for the running, um, my body was fully recovered within the three days in terms of general stress in the body. And I was ready to go back training and then I competed the following week at a pretty high of, high level event um for irish judo and uh, and i medaled at it
0: that is phenomenal so it is so just just for my own sake clearing up there so were you saying that your anaerobic threshold was higher when you change your breeding from nasal nasal to nasal mouth is
1: that what you said yeah when i switched from nasal nasal to nasal mouth i basically i i had i had fatigued out that aerobic base. And I started to to produce more anaerobic metabolism. I get you, and
0: you were able then to push that threshold higher when you went to nasal. Which,
1: yeah, 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 exactly. So then I could keep on, uh, keep on going further with the on the VO two max that.
0: Sense. Yeah, and when when you like, what was there a specific way you were breathing? As in, like, was it just like was there a amount of time you were breathing in, inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the mouth, or was
1: there a specific mm-hmm. method of breathing? No, I was, I've been a long time trained um, with breath practice, about 15 years now at this stage. So when, we, when, when you talk about um, the work of Patrick McKeown and when you also look at Dr. Bouticchio, whose his work is built upon, uh, he looks at functional breathing patterns and he looks at CO2 tolerance levels. Um, so I would have had a very high tolerance level to carbon dioxide. I would have been very well trained um, through my breath work to be able to withstand a lot of CO2. And yeah. CO2 is the primary driver to breathe. Yeah, yeah. It's not the only thing, but it's a primary one.
0: It is, yeah, it's the prime, yeah. CO2, expelling CO2 is, is what drives us to breathe. I actually, sorry, just I, I got it right here. It's funny, I've just after to pick it out my, uh, my lab exam from my master's here, and it says, yeah, lactate threshold, LT1 is the first increase in blood lactate above the values of 0.4 millimo- milli- millimoles per litre. I said per mercury, I was thinking per millimoles per mercury, but that's the uh, obla. And then lactic turn point is LT2. Uh, this is where you have a sudden and sustained breakpoint in lactate. Uh, typically the ltp can also be used to define the transition between steady state and threshold training zones yeah so i wasn't far off there's lt1 lt2 that's what they're kind of, yeah. that's what they're kind of using now it's physiology because i remember talking doing it last year in physiology but again it's been it's been since last year since i looked
1: at it so lt1
0: is obla onset of lactic accumulation and lt2 is the, basically the lactic so uh, threshold
1: No, no. What's really interesting at similar time so i then said well wow, this is really cool but this is me so let me get a few more bodies in here and test it out. So I'd been training uh, a GEA team uh, for the previous year and a half, and so I took, uh, took 12, 12 of those guys in and tested them uh, privately as well, and I found similar results with them.
0: Wow, 12. That's not a bad... I know like, if that was a you know, an actual study, it would still say it was underpowered, but that's still a nice little group to get. Well, lads.
1: Yeah. And then what what becomes even more interesting is um, prior to that year, the year previous, I was speaking with uh, Brian McKenzie, who you may know through Altus. Yeah, Uh, he's done a little bit of work with Altus, but he's over in California. Brian would be a a very high level coach, uh, one of the first CrossFit um, box owners uh he used wife.
0: to he used to teach crossfit endurance he used to do that workshop for them
1: but yeah he's well like, he, ori- he originated crossfit endurance yeah he
0: was the original like john w- welburn was the original crossfit football type job but uh it's funny you mentioned him because brian if you're listening i've reached out three or four times now get back to me man
1: <laughs> well brian brian is an awesome guy and, and his is uh, partner uh, rob wilson yeah so we spoke about three to four years it must be about three years ago now at this stage and at the time, he was telling me all about the, the Wim Hof and his experience with Wim Hof, who we had over. And he was telling me about, you know, pranayama and, and, and that end that he was using with his high performance athletes. Uh, and I said to him, I says, well, you know, I do the complete opposite. I do nasal breathing. And here's what we found with nasal breathing. Here's what we found with reduced breathing. Here's what we found with hypoxic training. And he was like, cool. So. Him being the tinkerer that he is and me being the tinkerer that I am, we both went away and pretty much produced very much similar results mm. and have now come to the similar conclusions in the way that we train people um, internationally, which is a, a principles-based approach to training the whole body, but in particular, we're talking about breathing here. Very good. So he went on and developed his Art of Breath program, which is an awesome one, uh, with Rob Wilson. And uh, I've been tipping away on my stuff, uh, doing one-to-one on private work and now beginning to develop workshops over here in Europe as well.
0: Savage stuff, yeah. No, himself and Rob, they only just recently uh, spoke at the last... Uh altus uh, acp so for anyone that's on altus 360 i'm sure those videos will be up soon but they spoke at altus as well last year and yeah i've seen i've seen their presentation at altus it's very very good and i actually have the art of breathing but i just haven't gone through it yet you know yourself you have a stack of books and courses and online stuff you have to to go through it's funny i remember when i was interviewing fergus collie because i i know fergus well just through an online medium we spoke with a good few times so we have a good bit of banter between the two of us uh, yeah, i remember i was interviewing him and i said uh, th- this is the first time i interviewed him and i said fergus i don't have game changer and i'm not getting it i have enough fucking stuff to yeah. read <laughs> And he just he just starts laughing and like <laughs> i literally picked up all these books beside me he's like see look look this is what i'm reading right now i think at the time i was, I was actually reading super training you know, people that talk with super training if like oh has anyone ever read that i'm like yeah It's not that it's not that actually complicated, and actually some parts of it are pony as well. But uh, one thing about Supertrain, it's very badly referenced. Like you know, like he literally has references in the text, and you go back to the bibliography at the back, and they're not in it. Like he's got one there from France. Like (laughs) where the fuck is? So it's just. I didn't hear the background story of him and Firkashansky. Like apparently, like they just ripped each other off, or he ripped off Firkashansky. You know all love stuff. Anyway, I'm going off track here, digressing. But uh, no, that's that's savage, and I'll be putting obviously we're putting stuff from from um, Brian and Rob into the show notes because everything goes into the show notes, anything that's mentioned. But listen, what I was touching on there about Eurasma. So I think you said back in 2004 was when you started yeah. kind of working that, or you you potentially cure i say potentially because you'll get some saying you can't cure this fucking thing but anyway we're gonna say you cured it right do, do, he, do you know what
1: i i don't care anymore oh uh, yeah i don't,
0: don't i don't so care
1: so i
2: either.
1: i went i went from a level where uh, i was sick you know once a year to twice a year to three times a year with chest infections and colds and flus uh arising from asthma attacks to being hospitalized several times to when I was it was about 17 18 years old I was in bed for a total of six months. Jeez, so I you had, you
0: had very bad asthma.
1: I had three inhalers, fourteen courses of antibiotics, and four hundred and twenty-five five milligram penicillin tablets in fourteen months.
0: You just weren't meant to survive. Like if you were back in the day, Mother Nature would have just gotten rid of you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> she'd dry her vest, but I'd still be here.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs>
0: Go, but, go ahead. But the, but the, 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 sorry the, I was, point, the point i'm trying to get across here is like you had because you know some people say they have asthma and it's like they don't like they get they get a bit of it but you had a bad in other words you had yeah. it also, all right continue i sorry. was uh,
1: like when, when i was bad i wouldn't be able to walk to the shops when i was oh. good like i would be running around as as good as anybody yeah be no problem but i was also skinny like i was nine stone which is for your american guys it's 118 pounds um <laughs> is what i would have weighed in at and i would have played uh, I went on to play senior club football um, in Dublin at Nine Stone. Um, what club, yeah, what's your club, Leo? Sylvester's, Sylvester's. at Mallahoud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was really interesting because that year, um, like I, I sat down and I spoke to my doctor, and I was like, "Look, I've uh, I've I'd be interested in becoming a trainer and a fitness instructor." And he, he just laughed at me. He was like, "There's no way you're going to do that, Leo." He was like look, if we wrap you up in bubble wrap, and these are his words, if we wrap you in bubble wrap and um, put you away till you're 25, there's no way we can tell if you're going to get better. There's did he actually
0: else Did he do. actually say something like that?
1: He used that analogy. That's a fucking yeah. disgrace. He used that analogy. He says, the only thing I can, he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get you an appointment with Richard Coslow, who's a uh, respiratory consultant in Beaumont Hospital. He says, I'll get you an appointment with him, but, you know, the way the Irish healthcare system works. It was about a year before I got that appointment. Yeah. So that's all he did. Everything else is the same. More, I knew antibiotics that well. I knew the grade of antibiotics and which would work for me and which wouldn't. My, my mindset was that screwed up was that I'd go training on a, on a Tuesday evening. I will come home from training. I'd feel the wheeze in my chest and I'd be canceling work on the Friday and I'd be booking the doctor on the, for the Thursday because I knew that, in my psyche i knew that i'm gonna be sick and this is this is the way my life is that's how it progressed mm. so that's a, that's what, a cha- what, what, what there, changed what yeah. changed
0: that because clearly your your mindset must have changed from telling yourself i'm going to be sick to now this is bollocks like this I, I can i'm taking charge of my life here so what what what, what was that turning point
1: uh, it didn't change so much like that. I did say, you know, fuck you to the doctor in my, in my head. I was like, there has to be something fucking else there. They're, they're just, this can't be the way for me. <laughs> and nothing, nothing else did change for about three or four weeks. And then my my mom rang me up actually and she says, uh, Leo, come here, there's this uh, method that's after coming to Ireland. It's for asthmatics. And uh, I think it could help you. It's a breathing method. Would you be interested in it? I says, hell yeah, let, let, let's let do it. So that was Patrick McKeown had recently started up Teaching uh, teaching groups the Buteyko method, which is a Russian method of breathing, mm. and uh, training people in it. So this is okay. So the following Monday, it worked over three Mondays. You're taught all the skills of the method, and you're taught how to manage yourself and how to track yourself and how to progress yourself. Mm. So I started training uh, for twenty minutes, three times a day, every single day. I I didn't let up. That was the one thing. When I, once I got a hold of something, I just didn't stop doing it because. Even after the, the the first day, I noticed a difference. I noticed that my breathing was calmer. But of course, it's only one day of training. It's not going to stick, right? It's like if you're five stone overweight and you start walking and you feel a little bit better. That's that's not the, the, the end solution. You got to keep it up, right? Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to see uh, Richard Cosgrove, which was a year later, I walked into him with a with a with a book about three or four inches thick of breathing training that i had done with a little bit of nutrition not much and a little alteration to my usual training schedule just based on what i was feeling and i walked into him and he says leo what's uh, what's going on how are you i says uh, actually i'm great he says oh really he says why is that i says well i've been doing this breath work i says here's all my training he says okay what are you doing and i told him i says look it's a boutique method it's with patrick McCone he says yeah i know patrick he says yeah i know the i know the method um he says, that's awesome he says look you, um, you know your body now. You know how to manage it. He says, so, sure, feel free to come off your medication one at a time. And he says, take your time. And if you have any relapse, well, then, um, by all means, go back on your medication. Um, but other than that, off you go.
0: Just give us a timeline here. What, is this 2004?
1: This is 2004, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I just I read it on your website, so I'm just wondering. Well, Patrick has been teaching the Breeding Method for since then. That's 15. I'm
1: right. 2002 was when he got a certification from Doctor Batikar. Now I don't know if he started teaching right away. I was in. I learned the met. I think that was 2004 was when I visited the doctor. So I was been at it since about 2003.
0: Wow, that's great stuff, man. And just a, a a question I'm curious on just for because for, i i don't have asthma and uh mm. like uh, i don't know a lot of asthmatics i do have friends who have asthma but not not to the extent that you had it like a lot, a lot of them kind of have that sport induced asthma um yeah one, one good friend of mine now she had she had pr- pretty like severe asthma. well i wouldn't say severe i think she only ever, ever had one or two bad bad attacks but it sounds like you had some really bad attacks but just just for people who don't have a frame of reference what what is an asthma attack like because i've heard it's one of the scariest things ever like not to be able to breathe like what is that like
1: well for me when i was a kid it was just normal (laughs) like it's a sad state of affairs but that's what it was like you you have you can't you just have to i mean obviously you take the medication that's the first thing And, and i have a great when i use that c word the magic c word I should say, I still have the genetic predisposition for asthma. Yeah. Just as much as, a, as anybody else, like somebody with, with cardiac health issues, with mm-hmm. diabetic issues, or I see it with mental health issues. You still have, the gun is still there, but the question is, are you going to pull the trigger or not? Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, what was it like for me? I mean, I can only characterize it which is you have like your. <sighs> that's what every breath is like <sighs> you 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 can't even get that breath in was it scary i don't remember it as being scary mm. because i had it from the age of three Jeez. it was just it was just life for me it's um, just what, it's just because
0: look, it's just sorry to interrupt it's just because like like breathing is just like it is the highest thing on the totem pole mm-hmm. it is the highest thing it's before water it's before nutrients because it's 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 the one essence that like if we don't have that on a very regular basis we are screwed And it's probably top of mind awareness for me because literally today i was just uh while i was while i was eating my lunch i, I like to watch usually I, I watch something educational but i was i just, I just typed in neuroscience documentary and, a, and in the documentary, they were just shown the the training that the seals go through to try and overwrite the amygdala response. Oh, yeah. And a big part, they say a big part where most of the seals fail is the mm. underwater tests. Mm-hmm. And like underwater, they're, they're constantly getting their, their. So like they're mm-hmm. underwater and like they have these guys that come up and they're pulling their pipes out of their mouth and they're making them like panic. And it's all to mm-hmm. do with because shit, I can't breathe. And like just while i was watching it and it was also in my mind as well there the other day i don't know why it came to my mind but i was just thinking about drowning and i was thinking that probably mm. is one of the worst ways you could probably die like to drown I, I, like i i've heard people say it's terrible but i was like well how would you know <laughs> how would you but i'm sure like you know physiologically or mechanistically people have figured out like this is what probably happened that would probably really suck you're trying to breathe but water's going in and just i just sorry i know it sounds i'm sounding very uh, pessimistic here but i'm just like no i'm just try, i'm just uh, trying to get i'm trying to get people to understand like for, for someone like me who's never once in his life had apart from a very bad cold and i just start to mouth breathe but i've never ever had the experience of like shit trying to breathe and go oh nothing went in there but yeah so, like, yeah yeah you know and so like with somebody with asthmatics or asthmatics who had really bad attacks like i've I've met one or two people who've had bad attacks or i know mean, people who have wanted bad attacks and they're just saying it was one of the scariest things ever like um, but for you, you're saying this, and I had it in those trees, so I thought it was almost very normal to have these every now and again, but it's just to give people that frame of reference. Well, it was, it
1: was, I knew, exactly. I, I knew it wasn't normal for everybody, but it was no, it was my normal.
0: I know what you mean. Yeah. My
1: normal to have my head over a basin um, with, with steaming hot water and Vicks Vapor Rub. Yeah. It was my normal to be woken up in the middle of the night by a doctor uh, coming in to give me medication to try and help wow. me out. That, 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 it, was, it was normal for me to... You know, when you're a kid and you're 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 jumping around and you're having pillow fights and there's feathers going everywhere to be one minute playing and one minute just on your knees trying to breathe. That was that was normal in some senses for me, yeah. So and the (laughs) reason is weird because now now a lot of my training is based around trying to produce those states in order to optimize my performance. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and like, but this is the exact reason I'm trying to give the listeners more frame of reference, because like it's not as if oh Leo just had mild asthma and he applied his breathing techniques and now he ran a marathon and and like and he competed at a high level with martial arts and it's like no no like Leo had really really fucking bad asthma and look what he's achieved over the yeah. years through implementing these breathing techniques and i suppose the key sort of message here is that you took responsibility for your own health wellness and performance and uh, it's it's just it's just uh, you know when people hear this and they become aware of this information it can be very very empowering you know so that's kind of why i just wanted to give this frame of reference of how bad your asthma actually was so i mean t- 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 so kind of bring us forward more so after you you'd met the doctor and you told him that you you started implementing the work from patrick what happened then like so we're, we're now at 2005 2004 2005 yes. t- t- keep going with the story there
1: i mean my my symptoms i had no more symptoms according to butecio scale i had normalized my breathing uh, volume and rate so i got it up to back to normal levels and i began to reduce my medication eventually came off all of it after about six months
0: wow six months
1: Uh, it took me now there there was a lot of fear built up on me around like even up to age i think the first time i didn't have an inhaler in my house was when i was 30 so that was 10 11 years of just in case just have it on the cupboard yeah yeah it it took a lot of um mental conditioning for me to unwind that and and a lot of other experiences which fed into it and that's why i come into it and say is you know your, your breathing literally affects
2: everything yeah
1: everything two years ago mike melnichuk in trinity college uh found was the first to discover the spot in the brain where your breathing is interlaced it, it's coupled with attention so as your breathing patterns change your attention and focus changes
0: man it's funny you mention that because i'm literally just reading polyvagal theory by stephen porges and it's all about yeah. respiratory uh the resp- respiratory sinus arrhythmia and like a part of that is like to do with attention and you know he basically yeah. talks about like these uh these three sort of um these three adaptive pr- uh, processes that humans kind of evolved so the first of all there was the reptilian adaptive response which was just uh to to freeze and faint mm-hmm. and fake death and you go into like bradycardia and he says that comes from what's called the the dorsal uh, motor nucleus of the vagus which is on un, unmyelinated vagus but then as we evolved into mammals we we got this nucleus ambiguous which is a myelinated vagus input and that uh um and that vagus well actually sorry the next evolution was a sympathetic response fight flight then the third response was this myelinated nucleus ambiguous and uh, this is parasympathetic input as well but what they noticed was that people who had better baseline uh, respiratory sinus arrhythmias they were far more adaptable but they were also the people who had the biggest drop so their respiratory sinus arrhythmias would get worse when they were like doing tasks which was a good thing though because it Mm. made that they were more attentive and more adapted to the environment but as soon as they didn't need to be in that state anymore they could straight away go back into parasympathetic and be more and have more um signs of uh, vagal tone at uh, at rest so bigger amplitudes of respiratory sinus arrhythmia but it's funny you just mentioned that because that's what porges talks about in the book
1: and, and if you think of vagal tone and the vagus nerve um they say what 80 percent of the the vagal nerve travels up from body to brain but what's the one thing you have control over over every organ that the vagus nerve goes to you only have control over one conscious control in any second of the day over one thing breath. which is your lungs and your breath So if you look at where, where your diaphragm, which is your main breathing muscle sits, right? Your uh, if you look at an anatomy, a a real, um, anatomy chart where, where they're looking at dissections, the heart, the pericardium of the heart makes an impression on the diaphragm. Mm. It sinks into it. So with every breath you take, you're affecting heart rate, you're affecting blood pressure. Um, the, 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 the main lymph vessels travel through the diaphragm. Your esophagus going down to your stomach travels through the diaphragm.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the, the vagus nerve, any, any vagal nerve issues, one of the things I would be checking for as a coach when I'm, when I'm coaching one-to-one clients is, is okay, well, what's their breath like? Because I know that if I improve their breath, I'll improve their vagus tone. And I know that I can put them into a more... Uh, into a higher parasympathetic tone, which mm. then has, which then has uh, downstream benefits on everything from stomach issues to heart yeah. issues to blood sugar management issues to uh, mental health issues.
0: Yeah, well, sure. You know, like if you get those people who are always in that sort of mini state of hyperventilation, they're slightly sympathetic. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're the people who usually have brutal digestive issues because again, if you're sympathetic, you know that blood flow is going into those more of those peripheral muscles skeletal muscles and it's not getting into the viscera and they just can't get into parasympathetic and they're also the people too that when they're talking to you it's like and and they tell you about their day and it's like you just need to exhale god damn it <laughs> <laughs> you see it all the time, but it's funny you mentioned too there about parasympathetic uh, or sorry but the vagal the vagal nerve too because i know you notice too um, because I uh, cause Owen mentioned it, but I got it from Dr. Karazian, and Owen got it from Dr. Karazian too from his book about how to train some vagal tone. So, because I remember he asked it at a okay. workshop. At a workshop, he goes, how can you influence yeah. vagal tone? And I was like, gagging, gargling, or singing, right? And I answered, <laughs> I answered like a fucking idiot because then he goes, all right, Robbie, you got to get up and sing. And he made me <laughs> get up and sing at a seminar. And uh, it, it didn't go well. It didn't
1: go well. But And, it, and if you think of, What all those are, those are manipulations of your breath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every single one of those. Now, here's the interesting thing, and I've no, again, I've no um, research. I haven't found it yet on it. But anybody that I've worked with, with serious mental health issues, and I've worked with a few of them, um, none of them are able to hum. Mm, Really? None of them. Now the work by, there's a gentleman called Dan Brule who would be a a breath worker from a different school of thought. Uh, He would have done a lot of rebirthing. He would have worked with Dr. Batiko himself as well back in the day. Um, He's like 40 years a breath worker. And he says he's done work with um, in Russia with the Russian Ministry of Psychiatry back in the 1990s. And they've they've produced a lot of papers in Russian that hasn't been changed over to English. What he said was he does uh, this, I call it a tornado breath, right? Which is, so it's a, a pursed lip inhale and a release of the exhale. Now, what he says is that somebody who is depressed cannot possibly do that breath. And a person who can do that breath is not really depressed. That's what they found in the russian psychiatry now i i haven 't seen those papers i 'm just going by his book and his word and, and what i 've gone by him, but um he worked with them for ten years
0: Wow so continuing on your your own journey there so b- bring us through a little more of your journey because you, you so you went to to your original gP and say i wanted to get i wanted to become a coach I, I want to get into personal <laughs> training or I want to get into you know possibly strength and conditioning or whatever whatever we call it you know
1: what, do you know what? It was, people. but just it when it, it was it was fitness that at uh, those days fitness. it was just, fit. I just wanted. i just wanted to be training i wanted to be exercising and enjoying life so the, wait, wait, when,
0: when did you make the break into into that part, or when did that become your career path was it after you you'd got off your inhalers or
1: yeah i was on my inhalers. so it was first year dcu i was doing um, computer applications which again was something that was just the complete contrast to me. Mm. But I ended up in CA after, after doing state exams. It'll even where you kind of go with whatever you've picked and whatever you've received, given your points. Yeah. So I fell into that route, spent two years in there. And it was at the end of that time that coincided uh, with um, fixing my asthma symptoms. And I was actually away. I failed my second year exams. And I was away in Stateside on a J1. And I said, you know what, maybe I'll just stay here and go to the Army. <laughs> I told my mom that on the phone. And she was like, no, no, you're not doing that. So She rang me up the next day and says, I got you a place in UCD doing uh, Diploma in Sports Management. Mm. so says, okay, I, that sounds pretty cool. So started back, um, really a, a base layer doing Diploma in Sports Management. Then I did my degree in Sports Management. I did personal training qualifications at that time, so yeah. I started working in the industry straight away. Um, and then I came out of there and, and went into the fitness industry broad stroke. In other words, I still didn't know who I really was and what I really wanted to do. So I did a bit of everything from, you know, swim teaching and lifeguarding to fitness classes and group exercise to training football teams to being on the gym floor to. I was just tasting everything and trying to find my way and, and yeah. find who I am and what I wanted to do. And I didn't think too much more about the breathing stuff, except for the fact that I knew it was impacting my own sport, um, where I played senior club level at that weight, at that nine stone, which was pretty phenomenal. Um, I think looking back on it um, because it was so light playing senior ball. Mm. So kind of around the age 25, 26, I got married. married. Actually, I got married at 24 um, and moved down with my wife to where she was. And it was kind of when in my early years of marriage where we're like, okay, well, what are you you really going to do with yourself? And, um, you know, what way are you going to go? So I went back and did a master's, a research master's, as a means of really just going, putting letters behind my name, figuring out how research worked. And I was really interested in, at the time, I was really interested in how education works. And that's what I was researching was a framework of education for how young people should be developed, which was integrating professional accreditation with university life, which wasn't done in Ireland at all. And I developed, uh, I really got into models and how to model um, education for the fitness industry. Uh, So it did that. Came out of that, and I was like, Right, I really got to decide what I want to do. And I said, I'm going to go back and be a PT, a personal trainer, and really become a really great personal trainer because I love that's what I really like with people. I had a, a bit of history helping people with, yes, losing weight, but more so diabetes, type 2 diabetics, people with arthritis, people with even osteoporosis, really improving symptoms and coming off medications and becoming symptom free in that sense. And that really. Like really got me going when I was working with people long term, and they were getting similar results with their health conditions that I got with asthma through lifestyle change, through exercising better, through eating better, through sleeping better, through personal development. Um, and I continued on down that path. I went went abroad to Canada, worked a couple of years there, got phenomenal experience there, working with uh, high end executives. Um, and learning from a lot of Canadian SNC coaches. And I really went into learning and learning and learning and learning. I was working with the ISI, the Irish Strength Institute back in Ireland, before I left, went to Canada, continued to develop that, came back, continued to develop that even more. But the thing that really stuck with me through all that time was I, I just felt like I was missing something. There was some part of lifestyle that I wasn't coaching that people were missing out on. And I realized when I got back from Canada, actually it was the breathing work. And I knew that I needed to go back and learn how to coach it well and get my qualifications and learn what the hell was going on with it. Mm. So I went back five years ago and did my Boutique Diploma with Patrick. And when I was there, it was interesting that I met, um, I met these two ladies who'd started this Wim Hof Method, which wasn't known. Uh, there was nothing about it internationally, but they were Dutch girls and they, they had trained with them and were telling me about it. And I was like, hold on, this is, this is really weird. This is like the complete opposite to what I know. This is breathe big. I don't care how you breathe. Just, just breathe, motherfucker. That's, it. That's his saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Versus boutique, which is breathe less, breathe through the nose, control your breathing, uh, repattern your breathing. And I thought, wow, this is, uh, this is really interesting. And it kind of brought back a memory of me from when I was with the ISI, which was a good friend of mine, Derry Temple. Um, he was the one that brought me into the Irish Strength Institute through his company. And he forced me to take a Pilates qualification. And I was really resistant to taking it because at the time, I knew the way they breathed was contradictory to the way Boutique breathed and I didn't want to screw myself up. So I resisted for a long time doing Pilates and eventually I said, okay, I'll go do it. And what I realized when I learned Pilates was, hold on, they're breathing for a different purpose here. Hmm. They don't Hmm. care about the exchange of gases in your lungs. They care about stability of your core so that you provide strength to your spine. That's what they care about. And that's what Pilates was about from a breathing point of view. And I was fascinated about that. So when I heard about Wim Hof, I was like, hold on, this guy is saying something totally different, but people are getting amazing results. I've got to know what it's about.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I dived into his method and I was like, shit, this just, like, it was just like, I don't know, have you had that moment when you read a book and it just, you thought you knew something and then this opened up a huge Pandora's box for you and like, man, I know nothing. I don't have a clue what's going on with breathing. And that's, that's what I felt like when I started the Wim Hof stuff. I was like, I know nothing, so... I went back and I started buying books and books and texts and texts and contacting people from yoga to Tai Chi to martial arts to uh, trauma healing and psychotherapy to um, plant medicine world to everything from psychology to physiology and everything in between on the breath. What is going on with the breath? How is it working? Who is it working for? And how do we piece it all together? That's kind of been my work over the last five years, which is piecing all those different strands together and figuring out um, what is the essentials of the respiratory system. First of all, how do we train the respiratory system specifically? And then how do we use breathing to influence the other systems of your body? Okay, so,
0: so take us through that then. So how can we assess the respiratory system so we can get a baseline? Then how do we train it that we uh, that we can enhance its performance and then obviously the reason why we assess it is so that we have some objective baseline to retest again so you know t- talk to us about you know is there a test retest like a test intervention retest criteria that you utilize and i have another question but i'll let you answer that first and then i have another question
1: for you okay let's go through how to train it, and then i'll go into the testing part if that's okay yeah whatever so we're talking whatever about, about we're talking about training the respiratory system and creating functional breathing patterns and restoring ourselves back to a normal breathing pattern that's what we're talking about here okay
0: what what do you mean by a normal breathing pattern
1: that the lungs are see this this is the thing is in research there is no definition the closest is leon chato's book um uh, inter- inter- breathing inter- patterns inter-
0: and interdisciplinary i have it up there in the book approaches yeah. yeah
1: and where they say is that the breath is uh low uh it's slow and you let go easy i mean that's that's the most accurate version of what we have of what is functional breathing yeah but what i'm talking about is breath efficiency and okay. um, so that at resting state your breath is very calm and very gentle that's what yeah. i want people's breath patterns to be and that they can then use the full capacity of their lungs when they need to when they need to not when they're walking around average so there's a couple of things i look for one i look for the quality of the the diaphragm tissue is it retracted is it stiff or is it stuck because if the diaphragm itself is stuck and you just do breathing practices it's a long road to get to a short answer, mm. um, which is where the likes of, uh, you mentioned, uh, you were talking to Cal Dietz before an RPR. I use some of his work. I use some of uh, a professor Raji, Daniela Raji, who's an Italian physiotherapist and chiropractor. Um, and it, and it's the work of almost manual therapists, but the techniques I use are self release techniques. So okay. you don't need, I can show you what to do, but you can do it yourself. And the easiest way to assess the quality of the diaphragm is, if you're sitting tall, if you take your fingers, run them down your sternum, at the very bottom of your, your sternum is your stomach, is the entry point to your stomach. You want to go either side, so about an inch and a half either side on your on your very bottom ribs. You take a breath in through the nose, out of the mouth, and you should be able to hook your... Sorry about that. You should be able to hook your fingers under your rib cage on an exhale easily without causing any pain or um, it should be pretty um, supple would be the word I would use.
0: I can do it, but it's quite tender actually.
1: Yeah. So if it's tender, it's just telling me, you know what? The tissue in there isn't, and I can even see it in your face, right? You're, yeah, yeah. It should, be, it should be easy to do and it should be uh, pain-free. Okay. Now, that technique and that assessment alone, when I, when I use that, when I turn that into a technique where I go, okay, this is what I want you to do over two weeks to restore the pliability of that tissue. Maximum. That's what I found. With six minutes of training a day. That's all. Mm. And I find that when you do, I've worked with people and they've helped uh, help normalize the heart arrhythmia which is pretty. Unreal. So this guy was uh, in in the medical route. He was he moved country. He developed a whole host of allergies, and then a year later he developed a heart arrhythmia and had that for about fifteen years. So heart arrhythmia for our normal guys is a funny beat to your heart, uh, and it and it's out of synchronicity. It just doesn't beat well. Mm. But the reason, and there can be many reasons why that happens. The reason why his was happening was because his diaphragm was so stiffened and so contracted. And remember that heart sits on top of the diaphragm, it was that then it affected the heart rhythm um, of his body. And that led on to um, an exasperation of allergy symptoms, uh, sleep disorder, breathing, and poor sleeping patterns. So, that so kinda, my number one is fixing mechanics.
0: Yeah, th- so that kind of is an assessment in itself yep. assessment and technique okay very, very good the the next question i, I wanted to ask uh, it came to my mind when i asked the previous question but i, I didn't want to ask two questions in a
1: row because it'd be too much do you want me to answer the rest of those that question because there's another two parts to it oh yeah for, sorry it's, go ahead no no that, that that's good the, so the next is where it comes from dr Boutico's work and patrick McKellen's work which is uh normalizing the or or developing a high co2 tolerance level. Okay. Mm. So what happens with mouth breathers quite often and with people with dysfunctional breathing patterns um, is that they, they, they set their brain to be very sensitive to carbon dioxide. So it means that when they come across a stress in life, they start breathing either a lot of air or they breathe very rapidly. And depending on their genetics, that can set off a host of symptoms from panic disorders and anxiety disorders to asthma um, to heart issues and diabetic issues, depending on a number of other factors. So that's number two. First is mechanics. Second is uh, CO2 tolerance. Okay, that's great. And then the last is, the last or the base level I look at is your rhythm. So resetting the rhythm of your breath. So the Heart Math Institute will will say that when you breathe uh, four or five or six breaths per minute, when you do that, let's say four seconds in, five, four seconds out, five seconds in, five seconds out, or uh four seconds in, six seconds out, that's a rhythmical breath, right? Mm-hmm. Pattern. So when you produce that pattern for two minutes, you will resynchronize your breath to your heart waves, to your brain waves. Um so it puts your whole body back in synchronicity and calms you and, and elevates your parasympathetic tone in your body.
2: Mm, very good. Very so good. What,
1: what, I, what I look at doing is is improving and optimizing the rhythm of your breath so that you can, no matter what pressure you're under, you can be really calm. Your breath can still be low, can still be slow, and can still be hardly noticeable. So if, let's apply that to sport. Um, you know, you're you're. We'll we'll talk Gaelic games soon as we're both in Ireland here. And you're 20 minutes into a, a high pressure game, and you're you're breathing through your ass. Can you then? I mean, who who's the person that's most ready? The person breathing through their ass, or the person who you can't even hear the breath? Hmm. Who's good to go? It's like what you said about the polyvagal theory: is that person with a high parasympathetic tone. Is more adaptable to stressors.
0: Yeah. Well, what 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 he actually what he outlines in the book is that so at rest the healthier people have higher respiratory sinus arrhythmia so they have more vagal tone. But he's like when they need to respond to a stressor, they actually have the greatest decrease in parasympathetic, parasympathetic input. And uh, a depression in respiratory sinus arrhythmia. So, like, if you had that at rest, that'd be a bad thing. But he's like, when you have to attend to something in the environment, he's like, that's actually a healthy response. But he says yeah. once, once they, they've, once they have made an assessment of their environment and if the environment is safe, they can rapidly switch back to being parasympathetic. And he's like, that's healthy. Where he's like, the unhealthy response is a, a rest and vagal tone that was more sympathetic. So it, they had, they had lower respiratory sinus arrhythmia at rest and then they had a, a no, less depression in their respiratory sinus arrhythmia so they couldn't tap into as much sympathetic tone when they had to for a fight or flight response and it took them longer than to get back into their parasympathetic response then at rest as well so it, it's, it's it was kind of, it sounds like a paradox at first so the healthier people at rest have higher vagal tone which is thing more parasympathetic yeah. more variable. But when they had to attend to an environmental task, like in some sort of external stressor, they were able Boom. to depress the parasympathetic input. So, like, their heart rhythm became more stable faster. So, they had less, like, variability in the heart rate, which. Which for a long, for if that was long term or at rest, you're like that's bad. <laughs> but when you're attending to a task that needs your attention, you want to be sympathetic. You want to be firefly. So he's like, healthy people were able to tap into that. He and he actually says that in the book that most people believe that that's regulated by the sympathetic system. He's like it's not. He in his theory, he's like that's regulated by the uh, myelinated. Um, the myelinated branch of the vagus nerve, the nucleus ambiguous, he calls it the vagal break. He's like, healthy people have this vagal break and they have more adaptability with this break. They can put it on and off when they need it. So, he's, mm-hmm. so again, he's like at rest, these people have high vagal tone uh, when they need to attend to something. So they have high vagal tone, high uh, amplitude of respiratory sinus arrhythmia. But then when they need to attend to a, a task or they're trying to judge if something is a threat or not, he's like they can rapidly go sympathetic because their vagal break comes off. And he's like, yes. once once the either finished the task, it, it was Firefly, or they actually recognize no wait, the environment, they attend to it with like emotion and cognition and mm-hmm. they make better decisions. They're like, oh no, this isn't a threat. They can instantly switch back then to be more parasympathetic, putting the vagal break back on the sympathetic system and again, go back into higher amplitude of respiratory science rhythm. It's, really, it's an interesting book, but I, got, I have a paper from Bill Hartman where he's like this paper called Bullshit and Theories that I haven't read yet. So I'm reading the book first and then I'll, I'll read that paper to see what I think. But it is interesting stuff.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, let, let's make that analogy. So you can go uh, a rest. So you're, you're chilled, you're chilled, you're chilled. So then you can go to not to 60 in like two seconds. And then once it's over, you can go back to being chilled straight away.
0: Exactly. People, that's essentially like sensi- what uh, you said it much better than me. That's, the, that's-
1: only, the only thing with the, with the polyvagal theory is that they think that the nervous system is a master controller. For me, as a, as a coach, um, you are the director of your own life. So it is the breath. It is your movement patterns it is your physiology layered on top of your psychology which determines um, your response to your environment it's only it's only your nervous system that co- your your nervous system responds to inputs so that input has to go in so you have a choice to make over the input that's yeah well higher, that's what higher, I've learned.
0: Yeah, higher higher cortical levels can override lower portions of the nervous system, and that's it's funny when I was watching that documentary uh, today that I spoke with the neuroscience when they were showing the army, they they do these. It's really funny, like they they do these specific tasks to try and override the amygdala response. Because again, I read the policies book, behave such a fucking good book. I love that book. But he talks about, like, essentially, like, to simplify, is like, amygdala very, very fast, but accuracy can be off. So, for instance, he gives the analogy of, like, you're a cop, and he's like, you see someone reaching for something in their pocket, and your amygdala's like, going, gun, gun. And, like, you can, boom, take out your gun and, and have two shots gone already. But then you realize, oh, fuck, he was just reaching for an identity card. Do you know what I mean? So the yeah. accuracy could be way off. So, it's trying to train your higher, like, your cortex to be able yeah. to override the amygdala as best as it possibly can like because the amygdala is just so fast because again it's a lower brain structure so it, it takes signals get to that quicker than they do to the higher cortex but it's so, um, it's interesting stuff like
1: two things in that is mike mike's work which says that your attention is is directly related to your breath so um in in being able to control and manipulate your breath yeah you can respond with with better clarity Mm-hmm. and judgment and that was one of the tests I had to do um, when I went into them on my own when we had the um, CEG right for the brain, uh, the, the, the cap on the head with all the, the electrodes in the head was I was going into alpha wave states um, just sitting there doing breathing patterns and then I had to uh, do a lot of tasks and one of them was a, was a response task but it was also measuring accuracy. Wow, and he saw No, i don't uh, this this isn't again this is just n equals one this is just me but i got more accurate and, and i responded faster after the breathing protocols that i was using
2: wow
1: that's so with, with with the wim hof stuff then you have on the other side i mean what was what what how does his method work and remember his is a special he's not interested in functional breathing patterns that's not what the method is about the method is about uh, a specialized breathing pattern uh, with uh, cold therapy and mindset. That's essentially what it's about. And what he cares about nowadays is about particularly mental health, mm. uh, cardiovascular health, and, and really what he's now getting into is inflammation, but where, where he, he really wants to get a hold of his mental health is what it would appear to me. So the way his method works, and um, remember the three parts to the method haven't been well researched on their own, but together they have been well researched. So what the breathing method does, it's a big breath, (sighs) which dumps a whole load of carbon dioxide out of the system. When you dump CO2, you then make the blood very alkaline Mm because CO2 is, is, um, acidifies the blood, right? Once you breach 7.6 in terms of blood alkalinity, you then desensitize the body to to pain, okay? Temporarily. What you also do is you, because CO2 is the only thing that crosses the blood-brain barrier, your brain goes, I'm in fight or flight here because he's huffing and puffing. (laughs) So what it starts to do is secrete adrenaline. And adrenaline also um, is a pain desensitizer. If you think of a, a boxer... In ninth round down, you know, he, get, he gets knocked down several times. He doesn't feel that really till the next day, right? And then he wakes up with his broken jaw and his, and, and his concussions, and he goes, okay, I'm a bit sore after that one, right? So what the whole breathing method in Wim Hof is about doing is about, uh, it, it's about preparing the body in advance of the cold, So then when you go into the ice bath or when you go into the cold, uh, let's say it's the sea or whatever you're going into, that when you put yourself into that massive stressor, which an ice bath is a massive stressor, that you you still feel the cold, but you don't feel the pain associated with the cold. Plus, you're really aroused and your attention is right on point, but you're really focused and calm. So that means you can o- you can override your system for the first sixty seconds till your body adapts to the cold, and then it begins to relax, <sighs> even in the face of the stress of the cold. So now your body is able to.
0: Okay, Leo, we're back. We, we dropped off there, but now we're back. So you were just in the middle of talking about uh, Wim Hof. So you were just talking about how he utilizes the cold to regulate you know, the, the state of the mind and the breath work. So you can continue on
1: there. Yeah, nice. No, so, uh, I mean, not sure where I left off, but what I was saying was is that he uses the, the, the breath as a head start before you get into the cold because when you use his breathing protocol, you will uh, start pumping adrenaline uh, you will also alkalize the blood and you'll desensitize the pain sensors in your skin. So that by the time you actually get into the cold or into the ice bath, your body is, doesn't respond to the stress the way somebody who isn't trained would, which is, <clears throat> but rather you'll get in, you'll be able to ride out that wave of initial cold because you won't feel the pain associated to it. And then after about 60 seconds to 90 seconds, your body just goes, ah, it's like, yeah, it's cold, but I got this. It's cool. And it's from those two things combined together that then you get the host of physiological and psychological benefits that they're seeing with the method itself when it's repeated over time.
0: How long do you stay in the cold for generally?
1: As long as your body feels good. That's another thing. This isn't like athletes who jump into an ice bath. They're like, oh, got to do four minutes, man. We got four minutes. Let's do this. Or we got eight minutes. Let's do this. No, it's you get in, you stay calm, you focus, and then your body will relax. And as long as your body is relaxing in that peak stress state, you stay in. Whether that's 30 seconds or 10 minutes, it it doesn't really matter. We We can make the stimulus more potent or we can, we can keep it where it is. In other words, you can submerge more of your body and your head in if you want, which is a more potent stimulus. There's more cold hitting your system. So it's tougher for your system to deal with, or you can just chill out there and relax as long as you feel good. So one thing with that method is, is, you know, uh, feeling is understanding and you know, you want to feel good doing it. You don't want to put yourself into into egotism and start challenging people for lengths of time and all the rest.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember it reminds me of Joel Jameson's um, Bioforce Minor where he speaks with different recovery methods. And you know, again, there there is no research on this, but like he was just talking about like how he sort of has has viewed athletes as being more sympathetically driven or more parasympathetic. Like to, parasympathetic driven when it comes to the recovery protocols and it kind of rang true to me and that that's kind of what i had observed too that you used to get these guys and like they absolutely fucking hated ice bats like they would do anything to avoid them but like you know like it was like listen you're in this team everyone does the same thing because that was the attitude back then so you, so you just get these lads going in and they'd be like they were just in there for 30 seconds in and out and just shivering and you could see like, like I didn't have the knowledge, not, 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 not that I have much knowledge now, but I didn't have the, the, the whereabouts to be where, like that. They're in a purely five flight sympathetic state. Like they are surviving. Like that is not recovery. Like that is more, yeah. that is more of a load to their system. Like that they're having more to, detrimental. Yeah. To, yeah. Like they're needing reserves some more to more to, to adapt to this stress. So like they are just going to more stress. Whereas like, and to be honest, that was only really most people anyway, but you will <laughs> get some lads who actually did really love the ice baths so because like, oh, they felt great after it and they did no problem getting in. And they were generally more of your parasympathetic guys. Like they needed more of a sympathetic input. And I, I, I noticed it more as I got into like physical therapy, as I started to treat people. So like to me, like dry needling when I, because I like dry needle, dry needling to me is more of a sympathetic input for most people. You know, it, it kind of dries them up. So like, um, I start to realize that if I utilize needling with people who are very stressed, just stress individuals, and then people who don't like needles, like 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 when I started to mm-hmm. like do that, I was like it was terrible. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then when I started like kind of learning more about this sympathetic, parasympathetic inputs, like I was just like, right, not needling you, yeah, we can needle you. The 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 way I use it, the way I kind of explain this is you get these people, right, the sympathetic people, if you put them on a table and you do deep tissue work or needling or something that's a big more like generally I'm going to just generalize this. aggressive that's, yeah that's a, yeah, aggressive that's a sympathetic input so I'm just generalizing mm-hmm. this they will hate it they'll say oh, I was on the table and he just he dug into me and it just oh it was so painful and I just I couldn't yeah. relax and they're just like it was awful it was just like yeah. that, was just, that makes sense it was the worst thing ever whereas the parasympathetic fellas they're the guys, right, that if you go in deep and do ART and you you stick a thousand needles in them and you're putting elbows in, they're like, Oh, it was un- like, he killed me in the tail, but I felt like a million bucks like they love that they needed that sympathetic input. Whereas a mm. sympathetic person needed just like really like effleurage and, you know, petrissage yeah. and they just need gentle mobilizations like METs and stretching and they like they kind of just fall asleep on the table almost you know what i mean that's what they like so i just start, i just started to notice that with recovery methods like that you know yeah just with, I, it's retraining it needs to be individualized you know because again it's just another input to the system
1: and it can be the same with uh breath training so yeah yeah you you could call the Bouticchio method more of a parasympathetic response although if you go too deep into that you will get a sympathetic response from the body Mm. and vice versa with the wim hof which would be more of a sympathetic response Brilliant. um and that's why you, you'll have people online who are asthmatics and be like oh i hate the boutique method because it doesn't work and then they're like but the wim hof was amazing and then vice versa yeah but the problem is is for me with breath work is, is that there is no framework of of how to deal with individuals given certain um uh, body types given certain dispositions to life given certain characteristics and traits that they have and that's something that kind of spent a long time on one-to-one is like okay this is not going to work on this type of per- like what you found in your in your physical therapy this yeah. is the dry needling is not going to work with this but per- this is not my first step to go here yeah uh, and that that's where that uh, framework approach um comes for me where i'm like okay now i've got you know. 60 or so tools to use in terms of breathing techniques Um, and now I know how it impacts on the respiratory system essentially and then on other systems and now I know how to utilize it and it's really interesting because in my research when I went back and I started going back into Dr. Boteco's old books what I found was and this was never taught to me originally was even though the Wim Hof Method and Boteco are so far apart they actually had very common thought processes which Dr. patekio said, we want you up to such a level and then he talks about cold showers and cold exposure. And he talks about um your mindset and he also talks a little bit about um diet and the rest of your life as well. Wim Hof is the exact same, but just comes at it from a different angle where he he comes at it more from the from the mental health perspective and not the resp- not the physiological perspective and they're coming in at it but he's like also a hey, specialized breathing technique which will lead to functional breathing patterns they're about cold exposure and gradual cold exposure and they're about really he's about getting into the mind and really controlling that that motherfucker that's what he really is really after how long uh, or how much time did you spend with him? Uh, so his training to, to be an instructor you have, you do their 10 week online course then you go spend a weekend with them in strew and he was there the whole time in strew in which is in the netherlands and then you go away and then you come back and you do another week-long course in poland
0: and um, what uh, was there many other practitioners at the train
1: yeah there was 30.
0: wow and which what's, was what's he's Wim? got
1: win like? is nuts yeah nuts. in the best way possible he's The craziest person i ever met, but also... Like, all he does is talk about... He talks about uh, health, happiness, health, and strength. That's all he cares about. He does not care about anything else. He doesn't speak about anything else. You bring anything else into the conversation, he brings it back to happiness, health, and strength. And we got the power, and the power is in you. Yeah. He's very inspirational in that way, very um, charismatic in that sense, too. Like, the, the amount of people... There was people there who who were bipolar, who came off their medication because the method had helped them that much with medical doctors, people with, um, Lyme's disease who had healed Lyme's disease, people with, uh, who were suicidal that came back from the brink after starting the method Mm. people who, uh, depression, anxiety, panic, cardiovascular disease, fibromyalgia, The, the, the range of the instructors, because one of the things that we did was we kind of had our own, little, told our own story, and, and as an introduction into the Wim Hof method, and people were all telling their little tales, and it was just, it was just amazing to witness. You know, here, whatever else that he's done and whatever else, it is only a method, and that's how I view it. So it's a tool in your toolbox, but it has had a powerful influence on a lot of people because it's brought together three. Very old pillars that are known to help health, which is cold therapy. A lot of research on that. A lot of research on breath work and a lot of research on, on meditation and concentration. Mm. Uh, and essentially he's merged them together um, in his method. So uh, outside of Wim Hof
0: and the Buteco method, is there any other breathing methods that you routinely would utilize with
1: people? Loads, loads. What I, I use a lot to bring people... I mean, the, the Wim, let's start with the Wim Hof method. The Wim Hof method can produce similar states as uh, holotropic breathwork and rebreathing breathwork and radiance breathing, which are all forms of, let's call it, non-ordinary states of consciousness, is how Dr. Stangroff would call it. So if you've heard of psychedelic, plant, uh, um, psychedelic states and plant medicine, um, it can take you to those places.
2: Mm.
1: and this is the da- the benefit and the danger with it is in that there is you don't do it on your own uh, and, and do it vigorously and try to go deep 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 because you want to do it with a trained practitioner that's really important mm-hmm. a lot of people don't realize that particularly for mental health because you can unlock things in your mind that would be better locked up
0: <laughs> yeah because I, I i have i have heard that certain people who went and trained wim and did some of the breeding techniques that like a lot of them like had like a like not mental breakdown but it was as if they were on psychedelics and they had some sort of mental experience you know what i mean due due to the state that it induced
1: yes and you see when when i when i originally went and looked at the wim Hof method i also then started looking, I started hearing about plant medicine and I started going uh, like ayahuasca and the frog and all this. And I was like, what's all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And it was just general research. So I was reading books and docu- looking at documentaries and stuff. I was like, this stuff is cool. Like this is great potential here for healing. I was like, I wonder what this is all about. But then something never sat well with me with it. And the thing that most got me was, why do I have to go all the way to the Amazon? Why is it only in the Amazon that you can find this So surely there's stuff at your door. It, like if God in all his infinite wisdom or mother nature and all our infinitism decided to create this special substance, which can really heal you. Um, then why isn't it available to everybody throughout the world? So then I started to dive into different stuff and I came across holotropic breath work, which I don't know if you know of Dr. Stan Groff and his work, no no
0: it's actually and um, when you said that word what's the word holographic so what you're saying
1: holotropic
0: Holotra- holographic. holotropic holotropic yeah. yeah. i was actually going to say can you explain that please
1: yeah so what it is is dr Scan groff was back in the 50s he's still around today but back in the 1950s he was one of the earliest researchers into lsd lsd was discovered in a lab sent to psychiatrists throughout europe and the world and told pretty much you know, this is some really cool stuff. You should check it out with patients and see, see, what, see what benefits it has and get back to us. <laughs> <laughs> so he started using it with patients, and he had amazing results with people with mental illness. He was a psychiatric doctor. Amazing results. And he, he tested, like, he ended up using and developing a whole – he built on Carl Jung's work and developed a whole um, cartography of the psyche to heal mental illness. But then, of course, LSD got banned because of its recreational use throughout the world. And uh, so his work finished. So then he started to travel around the world to all different uh, tribes around the world to try and find people who are getting you know, similar benefits from different things. And he found that through plant medicine, sometimes it was bloodletting ceremonies, sometimes it was dance ceremonies, sometimes it was uh, fasting or, or um, restricted sleeping Um, practices that people were getting into these similar states of consciousness as what he experienced with the LSD. So then he developed, he noticed that everybody was producing a similar breathing pattern when they did that. So he says, hmm, I wonder. So then he started to take people, produce this breathing pattern and paired it together with, over time he paired it together with some some music and, and, and paired an environment with the breathing pattern. And he found that he could produce similar, not the exact same, but similar states of consciousness. Uh, And he was able to kickstart his practice again in order to heal people with mental health issues in particular and trauma um, that they may have experienced. So he's researched that for like, whatever, the 1950s through to the 70s, all the way up to modern day. And there's a lot of practitioners in his world. And rebirthing is something, it's another form of it, but it's similar, similar technique. So I was going, so I heard about this and I was like, cool, this is my answer to do it, but through breathing. So I started doing holotropic breathing on my own in my bedroom, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. It's a no-no. And I can see why it's a no-no now. But... I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. So I gave it a shot and started doing it. And lo and behold, I produced these same states of consciousness, which was, for me, they were way out there. But you've got to remember me, I had, how long was that? That was maybe two, three years ago. I had 12, 13 years of breath work and meditation behind me. So I'm not a newbie. I'm not coming into this raw. I've done a lot of deep personal work on myself, um, which always helps. So I got through a lot of my... Shit that I developed as a kid and, and all the rest.
0: Go on ahead. I was just about to say, uh, make sure you send me uh, that doctor's name. So, w- what is his name again? Just say Stan. Saying?
1: Stan Groff.
0: Stan Groff. G R O F. Yeah. G R F. Yeah. Just again for the channel's Groff and I'll be able to find it there now. It's it's funny though. You mentioned like that. Really, people shouldn't be doing a lot of this stuff on their own initially, and they should be with someone mm-hmm. trained. Because it reminds me of I listened to Josh Wakens when he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and He's definitely done two episodes with with Tim, but I'm really sure this was the second interview we had with him. So Josh Wagen wrote that book, The Uh The Art what of it, Learning.
1: By the way, Stan has a great interview with Tim Ferris.
0: Oh, has he? Well, there a
1: you great go. Great interview with him, yeah. But go on ahead.
0: Uh, so Josh Wagen has that book, the uh, I'm not sure it's the art of learning. I'm not sure that's the title of it, but um he was like a, a chess whiz kid, like one of the he's a, like world class chess player, and then then he became a world world class at a martial arts he's very good friends now with Tim Ferriss, Josh Waysen. um. But he was saying that he was doing some Wim Hop reading in water and Ooh, he fucking, and yeah, yeah, and that uh, he went out like underwater yeah. and he was just like, uh, and he had lots of years with in terms of like med- meditation or yeah. medita- medita- meditative work and he was like just saying to people on the Tim Ferriss, like, yeah, don't do it, I did what I did it was dumb and he's like, don't mess around with this stuff around water. Like so. Not on
1: water, not on a car
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> not driving
1: yeah. heavy machinery also pregnant ladies just in case there's people listeners pregnant ladies it's a no-no and people with epilepsy it's a no-no wow so absolute, I, absolute no-no
0: i think you were uh you were continuing on there you just as yeah, I, So
1: I, I started doing the holotropic work at home and i was like wow and i was like this, this is really similar to the Wim hostel in terms of where you can go with it so i was playing around with it and i was in one of the sessions and the easiest way i can put it is it's like you have those little conversations in your head, right? I had this very strong voice that said to me, Leo, stop screwing around with this stuff and learn how to do it right. And it was a simple, and I was like, what? Like it was like, it was like somebody walks into a room and just says, hey, come on, quit that, will you? And, and learn how to do it right. It was the exact same. And the analogy I can make with it is think of having a young kid, he uh, might be an athlete, might not be an athlete, and they walk into the gym for the first time and they're looking around and they go, do you know what? I can squat that and they, they rack up a squat bar and start to squat 100 kilos. Never having squat in their life, knowing nothing about technique, knowing nothing about what to do for it. The, the risk of injury is really high. Um, and it's the same with breath work. If you walk into this stuff blind um, without having any guidance into it um, and you go hard and, and you go intense. Um, you don't know what it's going to bring up. But there's a, a there's an elevated risk of injury. Let's put it that way.
2: Yeah.
1: But So that that so that started me down. Once I realized that, I went then studying with holotropic breath workers. There's, a, there's one in Ireland, a fantastic lady, Jean Farrell over in Mayo. It was unbelievable. Wow. She explained a lot of stuff for me. Uh, I started reading a lot about his work in psychiatry and again, the breath in the brain. And then I went back into Wim Hof because it was like, I wonder what the trainers have been, what the instructors have been taught. And they've been taught some really good stuff, but there's also holes there as well um, that I've come to know through my own practices um, that I feel that, look, anybody can pick up these methods online. They're, they're very accessible. But the best thing I would say is, is, you know, start with one round or two rounds and go very, very gentle. Don't dive deep into this at all. And take your time. And the best thing is, you know, I run workshops, which I'm going to plug now. I run workshops around the country. There's a couple of other guys that do as well. But come learn from a trained instructor who's spent time and energy to learn what the hell is going on and be able to show you how to do it well and how to do it right.
0: Great stuff. This we'll wrap up here with a few little quick fires if you have the time. Um, yep. If if you need to if you need to go, I'll just tell me. Um, so, your influences. Who have been your biggest influences on you professionally and personally?
1: Oh, Professionally and pro- personally, I mean, it's my, my own family growing up. It's my wife and it's her family. Mm. I mean, they, they're, they're literally who I surround myself. And now I can add in my kids to that. Like I learned so much through them. Uh, that is just incredible. Like I'm, I consider myself one of the worst dads in the world because I look at them and I look at how amazing they are. And how much I screwed them up. <laughs> how, how old are you? But I think I'm doing right. <laughs> how old are they? 10, 8, and 1 and a half, all um, girls. All, all girls. girls. And here's the funny thing is because when we look at, you know, the, the human body and how it works. So my 10-year-old was born with her cord wrapped around her throat. Oh. Which, if you look at it up from, a, from a, one perspective, she was born choking, right? So she ended up developing asthma-like symptoms but her reaction to stress is panic. (laughs) My second one was amazing immune system and developed a second virus when she was, they they thought it was a chicken pox for the second time when she was four. And she developed asthma-like symptoms. And then there's me who genetically had, I don't know why I got it or how I got it, but I know I've had it from about the age of three, um, where I have the symptoms. So three totally different reasons um but they've all affected our respiratory system because they're all a version of either psychological stress and trauma or physiological stress and trauma through life um but through the breath work that i do um i've even been able to coach them to be able to deal with their their crap that they have to deal with much earlier on which is pretty cool
0: Mm. dave asprey was born with the cord around his neck as well was he yeah 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 i heard him say it in a podcast with stephen porges actually um yeah, that scared the
1: life out of me so the, the,
0: they're your per, your professional or sorry your personal influences what about professional uh,
1: professional obviously there's dr berticchio you know his work saved my life as taught by patrick mckellan at the time uh it literally saved my life and turned my whole life around
2: wow
1: uh, that was the early on influences uh there was a lady um who was my first Person into the whole fitness instructor world, Nolene Gregory. Uh, she'd be known in Ireland. She she teaches people in the NTC. Yeah. She she is an unbelievable person. I mean, what she teaches the NTC is a part of it. She also now um her partner. I think and, and whether Nolan as a partner too. A Boyne strength and conditioning, and mm. um, that's theirs. Um, and she's just an amazing person, she helps so many people, she's a really, she, really, she cool. taught me as well, ex-bodybuilder, she's a lovely person, yeah, ah, oh, she's deadly, and then she competed in masters powerlifting, and then she's, yeah, she's done some really cool stuff, and then the Irish Strength Institute boys, and Derry and Temple as well, when I went into really going into strength and condition, just opening my eyes up to the world of learning how the body moves, um, mm. was really important, and then Dr. Serrano, uh, Dr. Eric Serrano, I spent a good bit of time with him and I, I consider him and he considered me a friend, um, where I can bounce anything off him. So anything complex, any complex issues or any, just stimulate my thought processes to think differently because he is such a breath of expertise. Um, it's incredible to, to have him there and to be able to bounce stuff off because he's amazing. And then finally Wim Hof and what they've done I think they're doing powerful work in the world so there's a there's a big train like I, I never had one person that kind of this was my coach or this was my person that I've never fell into that category it's always been the right person at the right time has come along and taught me a whole lot
0: how do you learn so what's your learning process so if there's something that you want to just know you wanted to master how do you go about that what's your process
1: experience is the only teacher in my books you can learn whatever you want from a from a in my opinion from a book from a course from whatever but it's not until you integrate that into your being by practicing it and before you really get to understand something and what i've found is that uh, yeah that, that that's essential. that for me is the key step mm. is is and then by having that awareness and being able to think about something and just Peruse and meditate, and, and take time out with something you can. Like I mean, the yogis did it five thousand years ago, man. The stuff that we're only learning what the yogis did that we're now integrate between fascial systems and between uh, breathwork and meditation that we're only putting the science behind now is incredible, uh, incredible. But if it's a matter of cognitive learning, uh, I learn best through courses, um, which again is a mixed immersion and mentoring type process if you think of it like that.
0: Is there anything you do on a daily basis that's essential to your day?
1: Take time out for I was asked this on a podcast about two weeks ago. Uh and I'd say take time out for myself. And that that that's as narrow as it gets. So luckily for me I now have a massive toolbox to draw upon um of breathing techniques of meditation techniques, of um, cold showers, hot showers, of knowing that, do you know what, a hug from a loved one is more powerful than anything else in the world. Mm. So I've got a whole host of stuff that I can rely on. Sometimes it's a matter of addressing your weaknesses, right? So finance and career development um, is a weakness for me. So me just going, okay, I'm going to take five minutes to deal with this aspect of my life um is the most empowering thing and gives me back the most amount of energy um that i have so i just make sure that i take time out for me that's all and then i can apply whatever technique i want
0: who are the coaches in canada that you learned from
1: There's a guy the, the way i view life first of all is, is it's a whole life, which means if you want to be, you got to make sure. Okay, there's physical health, and um, which is movement. There's nutrition, and um, there, there's meditation. You also have got to make sure your financial life is in order. You got to make sure that your um, relationship life, whether that's with a special someone or whether that's just with the community around you, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But that your relationships are good, that your career is good, and that you have personal goals. They're all the different aspects of of you as a human being. So when I went to Canada. I, I learned a lot about the wholeness of life. So I, had to, I was in a new country. Uh, I was the one that was working. My wife was with me two kids. We emigrated with everybody. Coming off the back of a terrible time here when the crash happened. And I had to go door to door selling personal training. Would you like to train with me? Yeah. So the, the gentleman that taught me those skills is the owner of the gym, uh, a guy called Darren Katz. Uh, who owns a gym called body and soul fitness and Darren became a very good he took a big chance on me and I took one on him at the time coming from Ireland and uh, he taught me a huge amount about uh, selling value huge amount about looking after your financial self at the same time I did a lot of coaching with a life coach who taught me a lot about changing my perspective on life Um. Not even looking at a glass is half full because it's always full. It's either full of water or it's full of air, but it's always full. Uh, so the whole goal in that is, is to make sure that your, your, your glass is overflowing with energy um, so that you fill yourself up because I, I've said it to some people. You know what? If you're not in your life, who are you going to help? Are you going to help your mom, your dad? No. Are you going to help you know, the millions of people around the world that you want to coach fitness to? No. Are you going to help any? No, you're not there good night good luck so making sure that you take time out for yourself and develop yourself as a whole person becomes really important and then career wise um the whole fascial stretch therapy community do you know fsd
0: yeah i'm i am i am just aware of them but i haven't looked into their work oh,
1: fsd is an amazing uh it's amazing for any trainer out there in particular any coach out there because it's a it's a hands-on technique that is very powerful, and um, in terms of improving range of movement, uh, basically freeing up all the fascia in your system and setting a parasympathetic response in the system. And um, so, it really has a tremendous uh, benefit to the general population.
0: Which so who are the founders of that technique now?
1: Chris and Anne Fredericks.
0: Oh, stretch to win. Yes, stretch to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought for a minute you were talking about Stecco's Stecco's group.
1: No, that's stretch to win uh who was cool i met it was during that time that i met dr Serrano out there too Mm. um he's in ohio though he's not in canada yeah but i met him during that same period you asked me when i was over there it was that period of time i was back and forth to ireland (laughs) wait Uh, wait what what time frame
0: is that like year wise so after the crash was always what are you to 2009 10 11.
1: no it was a little bit later it was we prepared to go kind of 2012 and went 2013
0: and we was again personal or question on my part well were you planning to stay long term was like go over see how we feel if, if it's good we'll stay like what What made you come home
1: we were 50 50 coming back we went over with a very open mind we went over for a couple of reasons one we bought our house the week before the crash so before the big crash went and they gave no more mortgages we bought at the you couldn't have got at more at the peak of the market
0: and I just, I just give context to people there. So when we say the crash, we're talking about the economic, basically the worldwide economic crash that happened in 2008 that most countries went through. So mm-hmm. in, in Ireland in particular, there was massive, the houses were just astronomical in prices from, what, what would you say, early 2000s to 2008?
1: Particularly, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah and then after 2008, the, the, just the arse fell out of the Irish economy because the Irish economy had built everything around building and, and, and houses so that's why leo says that with some remorse
1: yeah yeah well i'll put it this way i never would and again i look back and on, on everything as a positive in my life when, when you when you have big enough distance away the asthma was an amazing thing for me yeah <laughs> through the other end the crash was the same thing and um, it took in fact i can i can say it now is it's only this year that we have created a long-term agreement with the banks. That's how long it took.
0: Well done. Well, the, no, see, I mean, like, congratulations, because obviously that stuff can really bear down on people, you know, so.
1: It's not, ma- and people don't realize it like the, the amount of stress that puts in you. So to create that resiliency through, luckily I had all my health practices and movement practices. Yeah. And, and that was part of moving away to Canada too was it got, Almost too much to bear, and we were looking for an avenue how I could keep doing what i do doing, but create a career out of it. Mm. Um, and Canada provided that in buckets and spades. Like Ireland, there, there's not a huge population to be a tra- to be a successful trainer, and where you can have a a a good mid to upper class life. In I'm not what? talking about phenomenal, but I'm talking a good mid to upper class life and have a family and a mortgage and all the rest.
0: What part of Canada did you go to? Toronto. Toronto, very very good.
1: Go Raptors! Yeah. <laughs> they just won the NBA. <laughs>
0: That's gas. Camille, tell me this: uh, what is your top book recommendation? So, what book would you give away if you could give away a book? And what are you currently reading?
1: Okay, I just finished. Um, well, sorry. What am I currently reading? Is the Burnout Game by Hamza Khan. Didn't hear that. Haven't heard that, that book at all. Yeah, I got. I got given it. Actually, one of our friends from Canada came over recently. And Hamza Khan was a lecturer on his master's course. And uh, it's all about how um, burnout is, and and it was recently classified by the World Health Organization as an epidemic, if I'm right in saying that, as a health epidemic. And it's leading to um, a lot of uh, mental health issues. And uh, basically, it's a level above stress. So if you're stressed, it's because because you have a passion for something and you feel like you're not getting to where you want to go. So you put yourself under more and more and more pressure. And the people most susceptible are actually in the healthcare system Mm -hmm. where you might have nurses, a lot of researchers in nurses, actually uh, teachers. I'll call it now anybody who has a massive passion for their job, but isn't getting where they want to go with it. Um, are a yeah. huge risk of burnout because they will work day and night on a project um, until their body falls apart.
0: It's that fine line between stimulation and stress, isn't it? You want to be stimulated, yeah. but you don't want to be pushing into distress.
1: Yeah. Like he gave some stats in it from Japan. Japan, they have, I think it's, the word is kubashi. Um, I might have spelled that wrong. But uh, it, it, it basically means death by work. And one in five Japanese workers today are dying from burnout mad uh, I think hundred and sixty six thousand people a month in China are dying from burnout um, and and it's funny because I had a friend who you saw in a couple of clubs over in China and he was, he was completely separate but he was uh, he was talking about getting work done and he was like looking at these Chinese guys and they're up on on like 16 floor stories and no help and safety gear no nothing and he was, standing, he was like, uh, should they not be uh, roped in there? And he's like, nah, human labor is cheap. In other words, mm-hmm. humans are cheap. It doesn't matter if they die. There's plenty more of them. That's how the work, That's how the, the corporations were thinking of using uh, humans.
0: Well, so there is over a billion people there. So they're not really actually wrong when they say that. But still, that's a terrible, terrible outlook on human life at the same time. Yeah. Uh that's my um, current
1: book <laughs> that's your current, yeah that's your current book what, what are you, what's your what's your top book uh, do you know what? I always make recommendations for people based on who they are when I'm one to one with them but here's a couple of amazing books that changed my life um, The Power of Now back in the day was great by Eckhart Tolle uh, Eckhart that was a great one more recently I read The Celestine Prophecy which is like a no fantasy, well it's a fantasy fiction but read, grounded read it, in a I lot I've read it twice yeah, it's, I, I loved it. I, I love David Goggins' book. Can't hurt me. Haven't read
0: it, but I've heard interviews on. Like, th- th- this is me now. This, this is this is an opinion. this opinion people. Yeah that mindset's too much for me sometimes in that, so he was on Joe Rogan right, and he's like, uh, I just, I never give up, every day, every day, and then later on in the interview he goes, yeah, then I ended up in hospital where I just couldn't do anything for a few months I wonder why, it's like, what do you mean you wonder why <laughs> do you know what I mean like, it's just like, it's like Goggins it's not sustainable man, do you know what I mean I, again, it depends, it's kind of like, I think Jocko's, I, like, look at me, I think Jocko's great, like, I'd never want to meet Jocko in a dark lane, he'd kill me but it's just like people are like fascinated with Jocko Willink as well. Like, oh my God, have you read Extreme Ownership? It's like, I did read it. And like, I'm not fascinated by the book. Like, I don't get the, like, Jocko just says, be responsible for your actions. And it's like, yeah. like do we really need to be told that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But just, I just think Goggins, is, he's, he's too much. You know what I mean? So I—I
1: I, The reason why I love this book is because I 100% agree with you, right? 100, I think he's way too much. And yeah, uh, you know, in fairness, in I fairness,
0: in fairness, just just for you, I just want to make sure I say this, in fairness, and we spoke about this before. I hopped online, everyone and everything is doing there for a reason, and I understand like he had a lot of shit that went on in his life, and and, and a ton, and, and a ton of You know, there's a ton of environmental and experiences. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of environmental factors and experiences that he went through that led him to the person he is now. Mm-hmm. But I still just think that it's too much for me personally. Like that stuff,
1: like it's like, but- it, this is why I liked his book so much.
0: His yeah, book, I have read the book either, by the way. His,
1: his book actually has a lot of very practical, usable stuff for everyday people where yeah, it isn't yeah. so isn't so crazy. I'll give you one. So here's a couple of, like every chapter is broken kind of down into principles. One of them is the accountability mirror. So for a lot of people, like you walk up to the bathroom mirror in the morning and you say, okay. I've set out, I want to be, you know, I don't know I want to run a marathon and you, and you walk up to the mirror, the mirror and you go, okay, well, did you train yesterday? No, I didn't. To actually say that to yourself in the mirror is so powerful.
0: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: so powerful, man. Another one he has is the cookie jar philosophy, which I love too, which is, you know, everything you've been through in life, it doesn't have to be big or small, but everything that you've been through that you have achieved, that could be some people can be just getting up in the morning, getting through the day. For others, it can be having one good meal. For others, it can be, do you know what I did? My stretching protocol today. For others, it's I, I went and studied today. So you put the little things, and then as they build into the big things, you put them into your cookie jar. And your cookie jar is basically you you write that stuff. That when you when you do something cool that you think is cool and you have a great feeling about, you write that stuff down. And then when you're going through tough times, you go back to the cookie jar and you take a cookie. In other words. You go back to that list and you go, shit, I remember when I did. Yeah, I can I can do this. Mm-hmm. I did it that time and I can do it another time. I'll give you an example. My little girl, uh, Genevieve, the, the middle one, the eight-year-old, she, whatever reason, scared to death of tumbling. She would not forward roll when she was younger. Um, I don't know what happened. She did it in Canada. We came home to Ireland and she was in gymnastics and that. And she just no, was not happening. Yeah. Now she'd be, she would climb on trees, she'd walk on walls, she'd be the most adventurous little girl that you'd ever seen. She I mean she can bang out five, six pull ups, no problem to her. Lovely. She's awesome, but she would not tumble. And
0: with a four zero X tempo.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have another zero at the end of that too.
0: Yeah, yeah, sorry, four zero X zero. Sorry. <laughs> so Just just for the and listeners here. <laughs>
1: So she was, um, She just wouldn't. Have, it took us two and a half years to get her to stumble of consistent practice. That's mad, isn't it? Two and a half years. Now, now I'm, by the way, I'm also a, a judo coach now. So I, I set up a judo school here in Drada. And uh, of course the girls are doing it. They've got no choice. They're doing it. So she, she like I take her out in the middle of the class because now she'll do diving rolls. She'll jump over people into a forward roll. She'll do whatever because she got over that hurdle. Nanan has said to her hugely that she wanted to go compete for a one of these elite gymnastics teams recently and she goes okay i'm gonna go for a but she had a big fear over a um what's it called where you grab onto a, um oh my god the word has gone from my head you you grab onto a bar and you tumble over backwards a circle up is what it's called so you, you go over backwards
0: i'm glad you remember that word because i had no fucking yeah. clue <laughs>
1: so she again just for whatever reason scared shitless and i was like shit here we go here's the tumbling all over again in my in my head right as her dad but she really wanted this to get onto this elite team but the elite team said look you've got all the skills you've got all the strength skills you've got all the flexibility skills but this is a foundation skill that you need to have otherwise you can't come on so i said to the coach i says look i says is there any chance you can take her on I says, I will work with her. I says, we'll have it done in a month. And she was like, No, you, you can't train fear out of a kid. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, you can. She's like, No, you can't. She goes, We've had it countless times here. I says, All right. I says, Well, amuse me for a month. Um, three weeks later, I took Genevieve back in and she was doing circle ups to beat the band. No problem. Yeah. Because her driver was so big and she had experienced ton- it. I just reminded her. Of all the amazing things she have done, like the tumbling, two and a half years, so we got her learning curve of fear from two and a half years down to three weeks.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And um, with consistent practice, with having fun, with playing, and with having that ultimate driver goal of what she actually wanted to do.
0: Yeah, so Polsky talks about that and behaved that you can you can learn and unlearn fear. Absolutely, You he talks about it. this is the. Basolateral amygdala. I think that's that's what it is. The the structure. It's it's so it's a, it's a part of the amygdala where you you learn conditioned fear. But he's like. The fact that you can learn it means you can unlearn it, but apparently it, just, it, it actually it is it takes longer and it is hard to unlearn it, whereas it is easier to learn it. It's like Pavlov's dog, like you know they they were conditioned with the bell, and he's like you can it's just you can you can just uncondition as well as well as you can condition, but apparently uncondition just takes a little bit longer. But the, we we are born with innate fears that are just like they're instinctive, but there's also ones that we learned over time. Like your daughter became fearful of tumbling, and then she just had to re un unle- unle- like she had to unlearn that essentially the fear of it but come here tell me did did, did the did the woman who, to, who said to you listen or the coach the female coach said that you can't unlearn fear like and after you brought your daughter back did she want to know what you done
1: like was she respond like was she she was, wanted- she was interested in it she was very interested but she wasn't like taking like wow wow this is
2: yeah um, but
1: she, she was really interested in it um but she what hasn't taken she hasn't taken the across. i was just like well i said says- I did everything from breath work to... Actually, I'll tell you what. There was one defining moment, and this is possibly for... When episode. I
0: offered my daughter a thousand euro.
1: I <laughs> know, <laughs> oh, was far better than that. You're going to love this one. So you got to remember, first of all, Genevieve, she really wanted this. This is I didn't drive any of this. This was okay. her driving the team. I just said, look, I'll come in and help you get on the team. So we did a lot of breath training. And remember, if you're doing breath holding training, you are the only other time that you hold your breath is when you're being choked strangled or drowning or dying that, or that's a, like
0: our max effort
1: <laughs> well yeah 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 you okay hiss, you hiss it <laughs> but naturally speaking it's only when you're dying or a bit or being choked out of it that's, yeah that's you, you
0: mean problem. prolonged help or holding like or a yeah. head hold breath holding yeah gone.
1: yeah So what I did with her, I did, I started training. I broke down the technique and started training the different aspects of it with her in a fun way with her sister too. Mm -hmm. Then I started doing breath training with breath holding training to train fear. Then I started to pattern in uh, affirmations um, with her when she was practicing the technique. Um, We would say affirmations and I would get her. Those affirmations would be linked to specific times in her life where she achieved something amazing so yeah. the affirmation is the cognitive but then you also have the feeling aspect of it as well and then the last thing was was what really broke it was it was earlier on this year it was actually paddy's weekend this year and what happened was, was she was supposed to do her training and we were going out to uh a, a, a kaylee um, for for paddy's night and
0: just just for you going any further because we have international listeners so paddy's <laughs> week, paddy's weekend is saint patrick's day in ireland 17th <laughs> And a-, a- into a weekend. and a Katie's like a big Irish dance fest. fest, fest. Yeah, that's what, yeah it
1: is. that's what it is. So we, we were going to one of those and she didn't do her training. And I said, Look, you got to do your training before you go. And she was like, No. I was like, Okay, well, we'll do it when we go home. When we come home. She's like, Okay. So she came home tired, like floored, nine o'clock at night. I was like, Okay, let's go do it. And she's like, No. And her and I had a standoff. And I knew it was just one of those things. It was something in her brain. She was like, No, I'm not trying. She wouldn't even do what she'd done the previous day. She was just like, no, I'm not doing it. And I says, well, we're not going to bed until we get it done because we said that we're going to do it every day. So we had a standoff for two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. I was prepared to sleep there with her. In the, in, I got a gym in my garage. Yeah. I was prepared to sleep in the gym. And she tested me every possible way. We did everything from crying and shouting to laughing to playing games to training to mix and things that i did i like pulled every trick in the book to try and get this and eventually something clicked in her head i think when she realized okay he's not gonna let up here that she got up and did it and she actually did six of them in a row no problem
0: that was the first up. time she ever done
1: one that was the first time she ever done one she got up and she did six circle ups boom 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 now i wasn't even asking her to do one that night i was only asking her to do her training she got up and did the full circle wow and and later that week that was a Sunday night, it was the Wednesday, she went into training and she did it. She did it in her training. Are you Tony
0: Robbins in the skies? <laughs> Are you Tony Robbins in the skies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it sounds like someone that dated a Destiny. All right, <laughs> I'm not sure. guru. anyway we're, we're getting off track here. So the books you have actually were Power, Now, Set Aside Prophecy, and uh, Goggin's book. But uh, God, I mean, if, it,
1: if it comes to training and breathwork, I mean, the essence is that Oxygen Advantage book is uh, it's a massive game changer for any athlete that has, that's been out there and trained a long time. Breathwork is an element that you haven't looked at specifically, yeah. and it will improve. It'll improve your endurance. It'll improve your recovery, and it'll improve your daily life. So it's an awesome book from that point of view.
0: Great stuff. Three more questions for you. What uh, What did becoming a father teach you?
1: Everything. It's still teaching me. Um, What's it mean to how, me, how, how how to have fun? How to have fun. And, and fun is completely underrated. Like how to just be joyful and be happy, even if like. Uh, I, so we have another baby who's whatever she's one and a half now um like do you, do look, you tr- treat three girls now? 10 eight and one and a half and juliette who's the last one like looking back at her where she's completely deep the others have a little bit of condition behind them and a, and a little bit so going back to the baby again like she will fall and smash her head and she'll be crying and then two minutes later like she'll be laughing and joking with you and she'll be Everything is. I want to laugh. I want to have a play. I want to have a joke.
0: okay just just for the international listeners, what, when 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 Leo says "smash her head," he just means she bumps her head. Do think you're an awful parent, like smashing the head? What the? When We say smashing her Ireland. We just mean that no, it's just a bump. We smash the yeah. head off the wall,
1: like you know. <laughs> I didn't physically get her head. No,
0: no, 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 no. Yeah, how 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 have you uh, like? yeah how have you changed you know or have you noticed a difference in how you've been to each one of your daughters like are you do you feel Uh, a different father like to each one of them and like what 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 has been different from the birth of your first daughter to to your to your third daughter
1: completely the first one as i said she was born with a chord rap she's a very uh artistic person she loves dance she loves music she loves um, she loves moving her body, but in an artistic way. Mm. And that's, that's the type of... So she's, she's quite a dramatic person, and she's dramatic in terms of the way she acts and reacts to you as well. Don't know where the hell she got off from, but that's her. So with her, like, if I, if, I go, if I go hard at her, she'll go hard back to me. Like, yeah. she, she will mirror that very quickly. Um, so to, to de-escalate her takes a, a fun uh needs to be there and diffusement needs to be there i need to control my emotions way more in order to get through to her and um, in anything that i want to guide her at. because if i do what i would like to do which is just like clash heads and be a guy and just like ah, have it out i can't do that in my house <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't work nobody wins i she will go off like in a like crying and and um, she will freak out. She'll go very dramatic, very quickly, and me, I'll just end up annoyed. So I know it doesn't work. So yeah. I work on de-escalating that with her a lot. And she, uh, the middle one, Genevieve. Um, I
0: said like The middle
1: one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the funny is, okay. So here's the best to to take a picture of the two of them. Beatrice is the eldest one. So when if she wants to get under your skin, she'll. She's really good at like psychological warfare. She will the way she talks to you the way she she uh, she forms her sentences she will be very she can be smart, but she can also like get under your skin very easy with the way she does things calculated yeah, whereas Genevieve from the age of two, I remember her going after her sister with a sweeping brush, and like her sister would annoy her, and she'd just be all physical she'd just be like i'm gonna i'm gonna hit you one
2: yeah. <laughs> like yeah.
1: so. But to de-escalate her, it's all about comfort. It's all about looking after and taking care of her, and seeing her point of view, um, and really being empathetic with her is is really important.
0: So, what what have you learned from your two eldest daughters that you're integrating with the with the birth of your your third daughter? Because there's a big age gap between your third daughter and and Genevieve.
1: Yeah. Um well, so what essentially you want to say? What, what do you feel you- I've done wrong with Beatrice and Genevieve in yeah. my learning curve? I can now apply with Juliet, who's the youngest.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I get at. Like, what have you learned from your eldest two that you, you feel you can apply now? with your? Well, that,
1: that I have to be flexible in my approach. That it's not about winning. It's about getting the best outcome for, from them. And, and if I really want to teach them, I've got to come their level. And I've got to see it through their eyes first. So I've got to see the problem through their eyes before they'll ever see it through mine.
0: Tell me about this Will be the last part and one of the wrap up question for you. Tell me about how important do you feel it is in your mind to be a role model to your daughters? So in terms of how you carry yourself in terms of like how you're looking after yourself when it comes to, you know, your sleep, your hydration, your nutrition, your mindset. Um, because there is that fine balance too between like you don't want to be the parent that pushes shit on the kids but you also like I'm not a parent so I mean you can elucidate this far more than I can but like you still do want to be a role model and there is times where like I do understand when parents say you can't always be your kid's friend either you do need to be able to say listen you you can't do that because I'm telling you now as as someone who loves the energy parent that you will Regret this, and it's not a good decision for you now. So, basically, I'm trying to say, like, how do you go about being a role model to your daughters? What's important?
1: I said it earlier on when I said about the way I learn is only experience teaches. Mm. So, I believe that to be particularly true with kids as well is they will see and they will copy and they will mimic. And, like, I grow vegetables in the back garden here, Um,
0: deadly, love.
1: I like I would tease them, but I'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna have broccoli cake for your birthday." Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like everything. But at the same time, I'll go and I'll go ahead and have a pizza with them. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm not a I'm not a, a the, I'm not a highly strict person because I also believe that by the time they get to teenagers, they're gonna find out what pizza and Coca Cola is, and they're gonna flip the lid and won't be able to handle those substances. If I completely ban them and eliminate them from the house,
0: but uh, I would imagine pizza, coca Coco would be the least of your worries in their teenagers. They're gonna, <laughs>
1: they're gonna hey, I hope out. I hope that's all I'm going to be worried about. They're going to
0: find out this thing called boys. Uh, no, not well, um. or girls, or <laughs> whatever. girls, you got to be whatever this age.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I get, I get what you're saying, though. I get what you're saying.
1: But so the I I try and live the best way I can be for me without shoving it down anybody's throat and that goes for my clients it goes for my kids it goes for my wife too like there's stuff that do you you do do things
0: as a family like do you do like sort of like would you go out as a family and hike and cycle or or, you know like do do, do, do the girls like to do any activity with you
1: they look like the the reason why Genevieve can do pull-ups is because uh, when we were in Canada, like Joy would come to the gym and, and work out with me, and that would that was how we got our time together. And she'd bring Genevieve, and I'd set up a little assault course. So, great. Getting into physical activity always came from just us. Like I got a gym set up in my guard. We got trampolines at the back. It's just physical activity is is something that we do, and they yeah, know that we do Asia, that, and, yeah, yeah. and and they love it. So it's like I remember, um. Joy would bring the the girls to playgrounds when we we're in Canada because playgrounds are everywhere, and whereas they're not so much over here. And the girl, our girls, would be climbing on top of the swing set, crawling across walls, and swinging out of like jumping from one thing to another. And we'd let them do it because i had trained them to be. To actually, kids really know their safe, the real edge of their safety boundaries. But I trained them to be comfortable there, and then went to pull back. Yeah, and like climbing trees, they they climb twelve foot, sixteen foot trees, and once they're comfortable getting up there, and I say, "You're only now get up if you can get down." And if they get scared when they get up there, I'll be with them, but I say, "No, no, I'm not helping you down. We're gonna we're gonna guide you down. We're gonna show you how to get." But if you got up here, you're getting yourself down. So it's that idea that they want to do stuff and they want to do what we're doing, but it's it's trying to be gentle in the coaching. Practice. Man, I haven't
0: climbed the tree. I'm just thinking when the last one I climbed the tree, that is something I should actually do.
1: It's so cool. I went back to it a couple of years ago. It's so cool. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd say I wouldn't get
0: past you because I'd be shitting in Got to unlearn some shit there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Listen, though, that's that's phenomenal. The reason why I asked those questions about parenting too was just that it's it's funny too. I was emailing Mike Cajou from Bruce Strength, and uh, you know, Mike and his partner, uh, D were uh. They were on the Mind Muscle Project podcast and they were talking about, you know, they want to eventually start a family and whatnot. Like, and I obviously, Mel and Mike, and we were just chatting back and forth. And I said, Oh, you know, and I said in the email too, I loved your, your podcast with, with the lads of Mind Muscle. And I was, I was saying, I, I found it a bit very funny where, like, Adi was like, I want kids in two, but he wants them in five. And the, the Australian lads, like, so it's uh, Lachlan and, and uh, Raf. They, they're the hosts of my most project and they were like i'll have to have some compromise there like you know in the middle of two and a half years three years whatever you know they were just laughing about it but i was telling mike like i'm fascinated with with child development and he was like he's like because yeah. we spoke he's like you don't have kids or, or anything and i was like yeah but i'm fascinated with human behavior and development yeah. and like childhood fucking matters man so but uh the reason i asked that too is because like i've spoken with james Fitzgerald and you know, uh, Eric Cressy, too, and they they have daughters, too. So, uh, yeah, they, no, there's no boys in that family. And then, like, you look at someone like Kelly Storette, like, you know, who's daughters as well. And um, just this empowerment, too, of, of females, too. But it's not just daughters, but it's just, you know, being a role model, like, as cliche as it sounds and coming from a guy who's sitting right now in his studio and is a bachelor like really the most important job you'll do in the world is to be a parent like you know so like w- while, while often people would say to me well you're, you don't have kids you're not a parent i say yeah but I have been a kid I've been on the other end of the the, the, mm-hmm. the dyad so I understand the influence parents can have you know geez, I'm not saying anything about my parents listen everyone has their shit and their demons that they go through but uh, I was blessed with the parents I got in fairness you know um in in terms of the grand scheme of life but uh, i just think parenting is it, it, it is just i oh, don't even I, I don't even think we know it we we know that parenting is is massive uh, when it we, comes to human development you know
1: like all yeah it, it's it's huge i'm learning more and more about it and and again my kids aren't even teenagers yet but it's uh my wife and i are looking that we decided to have kids and yeah. that we want the kids. Yeah. And my heart just goes out to anybody where either there's there's not a husband and a wife, like a couple that are strong together. Even if it's same sex, whatever. I, like your your choice is your own choice. That's fine. But I just feel that yeah that the kid to to have two loving parents um, and role models that you have a role model as a female and a role model as a male is massive. And it's such a responsibility. It's something that I learn from every single day. And you're right, it's my biggest job is to be their parents and to be my wife's partner. Um, Because that's something that I really have chosen in life above everything else and something that I want to last me till I'm in my hundreds.
0: Right, man. I, I got some polyvagal that I need to go read before my dinner. But uh, before I let you go, we have our final question. And before that, too, where can people find out more about you and plug them fecking workshops?
1: Yeah. So I just literally have developed a, a brand new website because I've wanted to go more national. By the way,
0: sorry, just in, and to interrupt, I'm a fucker, but that website is beautiful. Your website's beautiful. Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I think That's it's fantastic. I'll, it'll be in the show notes. It's really, when I went down it today, I was like, oh, this is really, really very nice website.
1: Well, you know what, it's, it's a last iteration. That's my fourth iteration to get it there. And the first time it's actually had the foundation that I want to mm. move forward. It's taken me three years to develop that um, with different people. So I'm really, like, look for me, I'm just really proud of this. Like a, my own card, I'm like, it, it's cool from that point of view. So what, I'm, what I've decided to do over the next kind of, at least year to two years, is to go and, and teach the, uh, in workshop form, I'm teaching the auction advantage, on the one hand, which is functional breathing patterns and applied it to sport. And I throw in my odd stuff with that. Uh, so I work under that brand on the one hand, and I work under the Wim Hof brand um, on the other hand, where it's all about uh, resiliency training um, and mental health um, in terms of workshops. Then I do a huge, I mean, most of my work is based around one to one at the moment, anyway. Great. This, the site that I've developed, I'm going to go into more online training because I just have such a a dearth of you know like people talk about oh, how many books you're reading and what are you doing i've put myself on several bands over the last year because i have so much upstairs but i'm not producing it and sharing it with the world Yay. and i feel like i need to share that stuff with the world so i'm going to develop a couple of online programs um, and eventually i'm going to tie all of what i do into a framework of of learning for people and experience for people so that they can piece these stuff together Uh, like my one-to-one clients are experiencing great stuff so the website is innate-strength.com innate-strength.com yeah uh and the workshops are all listed there and the next one is on the well if this gets out in time it's on the 21st of july 2019 will be the next big
0: one Uh, come here people want to contact you they can contact you through the website can they
1: yeah 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 perfect that's the easiest way
0: all right last question for you and if you listen to my podcast you notice one um take me for dinner and your partner doesn't count. She's already included. And I say to you here, Leo, you can bring five people to dinner, dead or alive. They can be a real person or fictitious character. Who would you bring to this dinner and why? So five people,
1: dead or alive. And, and, and you put some new constraints on that, which is it can't be your family. Is that no. right?
0: yeah. <laughs> it, can't, it can't be like your immediate fa- like my wife or my husband or no, you don't have a husband yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but all okay. like right my daughters you know but but if it's if it's like a a pa- like a, a parent that's passed away or a grandparent that you never met that's that's acceptable
1: yeah well i mean <laughs> you'll know from from irish families that the best conversations you get are the ones where there's a lot of different personalities in the room hmm. so i would have tommy tiernan Oh, very good. He was 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 an Irish comedian for an international audience and hilarious, and a great interviewer too. (laughs) I would put him in there. I would put um, Mr. Trump in there with him. Really? Uh, Hell yeah. I I think, I look, I'm going to be very controversial here. Remember, we are at a point in time. And when we look back on that point in time, we will see that a lot of good has come from that point in time. I think Mr. Trump has a lot to play and he's done a lot for this world, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. I think the world has changed with him being president. And I think that the human race can evolve um, with hindsight on his presidency. I think it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Listen the universe works through contrast we went from obama to trump and yeah. we'll, we'll go from trump to probably someone you know who's at the other end of that spectrum again and it'll just see yings and yangs
1: here's a really cool thing is there's two people coming up um for nomination i think it's the democratic nominations in the u.s and u.s people obviously know a lot more than me marianne williamson who is a spiritual writer and an amazing person she wrote the poem our deepest fear uh, which was quoted oh, yeah. by Nelson Mandela in his 94 inaugural speech. As far, at least it was written in her book um, uh, A Time to Love, I think is the name of her book. Read a long time ago. Amazing woman. She's running for the Democratic nomination. Um, so many running for that nomination. And there's Tulsi who... I Yeah, heard Tulsi Gabbard on, on uh, Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. I heard her on Joe Rogan. She's and good. She's an equally powerful lady with a completely different perspective with a whole load of Good she young, to bring to the young too she she's only
0: 38 congress from congresswoman from hawaii
1: yeah yeah what, what what she said on that podcast about you know bringing that aloha spirit and breaking down barriers within the i think it was the senate where she was when she got nominated in there and how she you know got her mom to do up a box of toffees yeah and for everyone yeah a person and their secretaries and then she got her first piece of legislation brought through within a couple of weeks when she was told she wouldn't be able to get it through for years um, speaks a volumes of the type of person she is like
0: the one thing i will say too is that like when trump got into office like there was people here in ireland talking about it and i was like listen it'll have no impact on your life whatsoever you can't do
1: anything about it
0: buddy you are, yeah, like you're just talking about it because you've got nothing else going. i love this saying from paul Cech, it's not his it's from someone else and, and it's not the exact same but i'm paraphrasing it and essentially it's like when you've when you find your purpose in life you don't need a crisis Yeah. so as in like you don't need to be externalizing about like how shit the weather is oh my god donald trump's president and it's like you know you really should be just mastering your internal environment and just take control of that because that's all you can control and it's just like donald trump has had no impact on us here in in our day-to-day life in in terms of ireland like do you know what i mean really i mean the only the only uh, i mean if we really sat down or really to dish it out the environmental stuff would be one thing because I mean that's a global issue. Like so, I mean if he's mm-hmm. fucking taking the US out with that, that's bollocks. That's pony. That, that actually is the detriment that is long term. It's just the fact that we don't see it on a day to day basis. That's another conversation for now. But I'm just I mean people like. I remember when he came into office. We're like, oh my god, he's, his hands on the button. I was like, you do realise that that's really regulated. And the, the reason that came into my head too, was like even like if someone like Tulsi Gabbard did get in like. And she is great or like bernie like i think bernie's great even though like some of his ideas are nearly too extreme you know like it's just like bernie i love it i love everything you're saying but i don't know how it would happen how would you afford it <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of thing like even those people did get into office it's like what like what, they they're, what they're saying what they're is great but can will that even happen you know mm-hmm. what happens if a republican majority gets back into you know all that type of stuff mm-hmm. but anyway this we're getting off here and we're I'm so getting- that
1: that's why I'd, I'd have marianne there i would have um, so you have Trump, Tierney, I, have Trump I, have, I have Tommy Tiernan in there I would put uh, Dr. Eric Serrano in there because very religious guy but also he's a medical doctor and also he's a world powerlifting champion and just he, he sees things from a, from a like, like Paul Check from that whole health perspective he has that idea in there and I think that he's good at stirring the pot too and, uh, and having a laugh And it'll be interesting to see him mix in with those people He's a funny bastard, isn't he? Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> I remember he was presenting one time, and he started talking about do you know when you fart so hard in bed, you think you shot yourself, and then you're checking yourself, and everyone in the crowd just going, "What is this guy on?" Like, and I was like, "I love it, I love it, I know exactly what you're talking about, Serrano." <laughs> <laughs> no, hilarious. Think, yeah. And then, and then the next second he'd be talking about God. Do you know what I mean? It's God. So he talks about going to mass, and the next thing he's talking about shitting himself in bed. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's a legend. And then he starts talking about fucking ketosis and fasting and stuff.
2: Uh, yeah, it's,
1: brilliant. it's all, brilliant. All within
0: ninety seconds of each other,
1: you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's four. Who would my fifth person be? um But it is a good guest. Fair play to you. Yeah, uh, we got two politics. We got a doctor in there. We got a spiritual person there. We got a comedian in there. um Do you know what? I would put... And I don't care who it is. I would put a kid in the room as well.
2: Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would put a kid in the room. Because it's amazing what kids understand. And it's amazing what happens adults when kids are around.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. I don't care what...
0: Yeah, it could really... It would really change the dynamics, wouldn't it? Because imagine it was all adults like, you know, Tommy Tiernan and Trump. Like, oh, it'd be interesting what how the dynamic would change Ari?
1: yeah because they're they're gonna have to dumb their stuff down for the kid to be in the conversation and and they're gonna have to make their stuff real simple but they're gonna have to have some fun and then they can talk some serious stuff as well and i don't know it just it puts a different on di- and, and that's what i'm looking for is a contrast of personalities to uh, to simulate loads of different thoughts and questions on on health on how you live on the, the world in general and where it's going and uh yeah and then the kids' perspective too is is awesome. So yeah, throw one of them, throw some poor kid in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sit down and shut the fuck up. We're doing a, we're doing
0: an experiment here. Yeah, and eat your broccoli. <laughs> your broccoli say, we, can we have some broccoli cake? Yeah. <laughs> is this restaurant's unreal for broccoli cake. Just get all the looks at you.
1: What the fuck is broccoli cake? I tell you what, I did one year. I was uh, Halloween and kids are coming to the door, and I was cooking. I was actually cooking green peas, and there's says. I know what I'll do. So I started wrapping a load of green peas up in some tin foil in some aluminum foil for, a foil for our American guests. And uh, I went out to the door and they're like, trick-or-treat, trick-or-treat. I was like, okay, there you go. And I was giving them green peas wrapped up. <laughs>
0: well, we, 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 know, we, we know whose house got egg that night.
1: <laughs> oh, man, I had such fun even still thinking of that. <laughs>
0: maybe you're maybe you're the kid at this dinner <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> no, that's great listen I'll wrap up here Leo be an absolute pleasure talking to you I'll obviously say goodbye to you offline but for everyone listening everything will be in the show notes but for now take care be well and stay strong